This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right. Oh, stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Garcia's home. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. What do you know? It finally feels like baseball weather. Just in time for the NFL Draft. Coming up later on this week, Fred Hubner now joining Chris Black for the next three hours. And along with our, where's our little guy? Uh, Abdallah's, you know, traveling Texas, tweeting out boots and hats and all kinds of little bistros that he's coming across. I'm glad he's, uh, I went online, I guess it was a shooting at a Waffle House, but it was in Tennessee. Okay. Um, nothing to joke about, but I'm just glad that I was he's like, not. Where, where are you going with this, yeah, Fred? I'm just glad yeah. that he's not at a Waffle House somewhere. He probably are they, are is they big in Texas somewhere. or just, I don't know. The, just the South? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, Texas is South. I just, you yeah. know, more Southwest. Than, it's all the same. I've never been to Austin. Have you been to Austin? I have not. It's supposed to be awesome. I've seen a lot of uh, drinking shows that are filmed in Austin, and uh, so that's probably what he's doing. And yeah, I think so. I think he had to go do a wedding, and uh, you know, his he's doing this thing where we uh, exposed his nonsense for his last trip when he went to New York. <laughs> yeah, he was posting all these uh, pictures to the Gram Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, but now instead of posting them straight up to the page, he's now using the stories, so then they can disappear. Okay, so so people can't make fun of him afterwards. But that's why we're here to uh, document yes. this and to make fun of Ab- Abdallah. And we'll do that throughout the course of the day, along with a lot of other stuff that we can all we can make fun of you darvish sure uh as he struggled once again after walking a pitcher last time it was a balk um well it's know. early fred come yeah. on now well you were one of the first guys to to call him out as being soft a couple, about three weeks ago i think you did it here on the air with us and uh since then i mean even our guy even our guy jesse rogers who's going to join us at nine thirty. He says uh, the headline of his article on ESPN.com, so far, you Darvish meltdowns aren't a bug. They're a feature. Mm-hmm. So we will uh, we'll talk with Jesse, and uh, we've got a poll. We've got a Twitter poll. Heck, we have a couple Twitter polls just because I wanted to. I was thinking about him on the way in today, listening to um, ESPN on the way in. They were talking a lot of NFL. When, when did uh, the guy who used to, when did Kevin Seifert become a Miami Dolphins reporter? He was always a, a Minnesota Vikings reporter. Then he was an all-NFL, and today he gets introduced as a Miami Dolphins guy. You know, Did friend, he move? I don't have Come that on. answer for you, but uh, I'm sure I could text him and find <laughs> out what's the deal with this Dolphins thing. They go, We're um, going to talk to our Dolphins expert, Kevin Seifert. And you know as well as I did. I mean, for, for geez, for like six years, we used to talk to him about yeah, the Vikings. Yeah, I think he's just NFL scribe now. Yeah, well, he's so he covers the league. He's very good. He knows his stuff. And uh, so they were talking Miami Dolphins. It is the uh, first week of the NF the NFL drafts coming up in just four days on uh, Thursday, and we'll be all over it here on ESPN throughout the week. Also, the schedule came out. We won't talk a lot about the schedule today mm-hmm. because you know it's a it's a whole lot about nothing, but. 
I don't know if you heard this, and I don't know if all the fans had heard this, but this is something I found on uh, line, and I had Eric cut this yesterday. The Bears were up at their facility this week as they were having their three-day veteran voluntary minicamp, and uh, their new coach, Matt Nagy, um, let them know what the schedule was going to look like at the very beginning. I'm going to break the schedule to you, I'm, and no one else right now knows but us. Yeah, i read the first one here. Sunday. Let me give you a time real quick. 7.20 at night. Little NBC action. Turn the lights on. Turn the lights on. At Green Bay, baby. Now, how cool was that? If if he's your coach, aren't you getting all pumped up? Aren't you getting all excited? That was so cool to hear Matt Nagy gather all the Bears around and let them know that their first game that counts is on a Sunday night. At Lambeau Field against the Packers. Pretty cool. Yeah, yes. Uh, pretty cool. I saw it online as well. Uh, I believe the Bears posted that to their Instagram page the day the st- schedule came out. You know, what's funny is I thought you were going to give me an anti-millennial angle there. Because do you note, when you listen to the audio, the way the oohs and the ahs went? No. You want to play it again? Yeah. Play it one more what time. What am I listening for? Listen to what the reactions are after the pieces of information are given by Nagy. Okay. I'm going to break the schedule to you. I'm, and no one else right now knows but us. Yeah, I'll read the first one here. Sunday. Let me give you a time real quick. 7.20 at night. <laughs> little NBC action. Turn the lights on. Turn the lights on. At Green Bay, baby. Let's go! Okay, so uh, they got excited that they were on primetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, primetime, turn the lights on at Green Bay. All right, yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> not not as big of a deal. Well, there to, might have been, I, I, I thought you were going to make a big stink that the millennials don't understand the rivalry between the Bears and the no, Packers no, and the whole thing. All. All not right. at all. No, I, I think I it's great. It was, I thought it was interesting. You know, the me first uh, generation. So yeah, no, I thought know. it was. I thought Prime it was time. All right, I'm all about it. Show me yeah. the bright lights. Let's do. Let's that's go. Right. Well, that's what you heard, it, and he repeated, "Yeah, under the lights." You know, so <laughs> who are we playing? Green Bay. All right, it doesn't matter. But bright yeah. lights. Well, let's do this. Most, night. most of them don't know, and we've talked about it. I know it came up a couple times during the course of the week about rivalries and stuff like that. And uh, the Bears Packers. I don't care if it's a rivalry for the players or not. That's not who we care about. It's the yeah. fans. Yeah. Fans. It's a rivalry rivalry for the fans and it always will be so they open up uh at green bay and then they play i'm just shocked they play a second primetime game right off the bat against seattle that that's kind of bizarre to me but that listen we won't talk much about the schedule i just want to make sure we got that in we will talk uh, a little bit later on with brett coleman from sb nation as we break down the the uh, draft looking at the first round of the draft actually pro football focus has the entire draft a mock draft today that they posted of the entire draft the whole thing really yeah so i looked at that <laughs> earlier to, today i had to sit there and I, do round six i don't i don't know and they even five. have some trades in the middle and oh, things like geez. that so right. yeah we we may take a look at glance at that a little bit later on to see who they have the bears taking at number eight and we'll also talk with nate duncan around eleven thirty before the nba games get started and before we're out of here uh you can find him at uh dunked on podcast also they do a, a pretty cool thing a twitter nba show live uh, you can find it at hashtag Twitter NBA Show Live. So we will talk with uh, those guys, but we will talk with you also. 312-332-3776. Okay, now the Twitter polls, which I got sidetracked on. Uh, the first one, since we're going to talk Cubs with Jesse Rogers, bottom of the hour. You Darvish, waste of money, too early to worry. Okay. 
would rather have had Arietta. Those are your three options for you, Darvish. Waste of money, too early to worry, would rather have had Arietta. So I voted on this already Friday, and I went, I would have rather had Arietta. Okay. And they, you know me. I, I've been this angle the entire offseason. Yeah. I thought that there is value in a guy who can grind out performances. Mm -hmm. And I also value the fact that in big spots, Arietta showed up for this team, and he showed up for, for – for the Cubs in this process of getting to the World Series the year before against the Pirates, everything about the way Arietta has performed, I get it. If you look at the analytics, it shows that he's probably towards the downward tilt mm -hmm. on his career. But I thought that the value he gave in other facets to the pitching staff were more valuable than just a guy who can throw 95 yeah. and has five different pitches. Mm -hmm. And the mental makeup of you, Darvish, is what scared me coming into the season. How long have people been saying Bartolo Colon's too old? You know, um, since nineteen ninety seven, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, they've been saying it for so long. And what's the one thing that we don't see from you, Darvish, that we always saw with with Jake Arrieta? You, he, you, he grinds it out. Yeah, he and I've always been under the thing where I would much rather stay with the. The person we know as opposed to bring somebody in we don't know. Sure. We, you knew when Jake Arrieta was here, he pitched in the big games, he got big victories, and yeah, maybe his velo was down. Maybe his velocity was down a you know, mile or an hour or two miles an hour. But you know what? He's a smart enough guy where he can learn how to pitch, okay? And it wasn't like he got rocked all over the place last year. He was not, he was a good pitcher last year also. Um, I understand not wanting to give him money, but if you would have made him the same offer you made Darvish, I'm sure he would have taken it. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, and Fred, this is where it like all comes back to this concept of, you know, Jake Arrieta was a part of something that was moving forward and, and trying to achieve a goal, mm -hmm. right? And last year it didn't work out because of whatever excuse you want to use. It's just the pitching staff wasn't as good. The defense wasn't as good. This team wasn't as good as they were in 2016. Right. right. So now you revamp, and I think a lot of fans saw a big price ticket item out there on the market, and they said, if we get that guy, boom, we're right back to where we were. And they yeah. automatically slotted you, Darvish, into the number one spot, and they said, okay, with Quintana, Darvish, Chatwood, this rotation's going to be automatically better. Well, we've seen to this point that they are not better no, than what not. we saw last year, and last year's pitching staff had John Lackey on yeah. it. So, I mean, I, I just prefer Jake Arrieta, and I know early data, and it's early, shows that we're right in yeah. saying that's Jake Arrieta. But, I mean, it's going to be an interesting thing to follow because if you go back to last year, you Darvish was pretty good, except in the pressure situations that's right. and not being able to get out of jams. And how did it all start last night? It wasn't like guys were just crushing him out of the ballpark, Fred. He walked L a pitcher. Little mistakes yeah. that build into big mistakes, and it's like he can't get over I mean, David DeJesus on the um, post-game show talking to the cap was like, is there something wrong with his elbow? Because he kept grabbing his elbow after every right. every pitch. Yeah, and there were and, even times where uh, Jim Deshays was. They were talking about how nonchalant he looked. Yes, on the mound and uh, after certain pitches, and and also let's stop real quick. I just want to throw this out there. David DeJesus doing a much better job this year. Oh yeah, absolutely. and you know you knew he would, but it, a lot of times in TV and in radio. Guys don't get a chance to learn and develop. Sure. Last year was the first year he did it. Everything mm -hmm. was new to him. I think he's doing a, a much better job this year. It's it's a pleasure watching him and 
you know, the guy with the, the funky jackets. Well, it's Cap. <laughs> on the postgame show. <laughs> Come on. Name Cap. Not were, the guy with the funky jackets. That's Cap. It's Come funny. On. He was taking a beating on yeah. uh, on Twitter from all of his friends. Yes. It's nice to have friends like Cap has, isn't well, at it? Le- at least he knows <laughs> we're all watching. How about I, that? I, I mean, it's better than nobody saying anything to you because then no one's watching. One of his guys that usually sits here at least twice a week and also works with him in NBC Sports Chicago, Pat Boyle probably rips him more than anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Especially he on last Twitter. night to Don Cherry. Yes, so, did. <laughs> um, you know, but like if you look at it, you Darvish, it seems like there's something that's not physical. That's the issue here. And that's mm-hmm. the concern to me is because, you know, if you are a Cubs fan going forward, this team's going to be in big spots later in the season. They're going to be in they big sure hope spots so. if they're in the playoffs. Drunk, yeah. And you Darvish is going to be the guy going for you. Can you trust him if you get into the second time of the lineup coming around, the third time of the lineup coming around? Can you trust him to get through of a tight spot? Or are those games that you're going to have to worry that you're going to have to have the bullpen ready to go? Because fourth inning, fifth inning, boom, you have to go to the bullpen in a playoff series. That's not going to be good for the Cubs. Yeah, Wilson Contreras saying yesterday, to me it looks like he got too comfortable when he gets that second out. In the big leagues, no matter how many outs there are, you have to keep attacking the hitters. This is Wilson Contreras saying it, a guy that's only yeah. been a catcher for three years, okay? Right. He can see this with you, Darvish. And I don't know that it's a good thing. We talked all last week and the week before that about Clint Hurdle calling out Javi Baez and then Justin Verlander this week calling out Tim Anderson. Um uh, Usually your catcher doesn't come up and say something about that about your pitcher, does he? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Not usually. Well, but we'll see if that gets. We'll ask Jesse if it's if it's rare for a catcher to basically mention how his pitcher has been failing. Well, so, and then also, um, I know it was mentioned many times on the broadcast as well, is this is a strikeout pitcher who's not striking out batters. Yeah, I heard you on the uh, the first hour of the show in the Best of 1000 uh, talking about his strikeouts. He had nine in one game, but other than that, the most he's had is four in all the other games. So is it, was he not ready for the start of the season? Does he start slow? I mean, we can go back and look at how he started last year for the Rangers. Um, but I, I just think it's one of those things where you Darvish is... A solid number two. Sometimes he pitches like a three. Right. He's not an elite one. And I think a lot of people projected him as an elite one because you see the strikeout numbers and you see the big ticket on, sure. on the price tag in the free agency. But I I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the only one that's wrong. But I think, and I, I don't know what the poll is at right now, but I think a lot of people, and especially Cubs fans, would rather have Jake Arrieta right now. Yeah, I don't think there's much of a doubt uh, that they probably will. Uh, or would like to have him, especially after his one nice outing, Arietta. He's only thrown a couple of games with Philadelphia as he's gotten started uh, a little bit late. Philadelphia, by the way, off to a nice little start. They're 13-7 and seven, uh, in uh, the National League right now. Off to a nice start. They're behind the uh, New York Mets, and there's some Mets news, too. We'll talk about that when we get to our um, baseball notebook uh, at around 10.30. It was a nice night in baseball with a no-hitter and all kinds of stuff, and so we'll get to that. Also, uh, everybody should be you know wishing and saying a prayer for Danny Farquhar of the White Sox because you know we see you see weird stuff happening in baseball and um, on Friday night we saw you know in the sixth inning in the dugout nobody can figure out what was going on was there mm-hmm. a fight did someone well what happened well I mean the White Sox released a statement yesterday that Danny Farquhar suffered a brain hemorrhage during the sixth inning of Friday's game uh, overnight testing revealed he had a ruptured aneurysm caused uh, a brain bleed. Uh, he's in stable condition in the uh, neurosurgical ICU unit at Rush. My my brother-in-law um, passed out one time, and he had a aneurysm in his brain that 
hadn't burst. And um, it's it's a you know it is definitely a critical situation. Hoping the best Scary. for Danny Farquhar. Right. He's and, so lucky that he was where he was when yeah, it happened. Too. It could have been sitting at home. Yeah. Could have been sitting at home yeah. watching TV. Could have been you know sitting in the basement like I was watching you know games and yeah. Bosch on uh, on Amazon last night and stuff like that. Peter Gammons tweeted out that he had one years oh, ago, wow. and he said, I'm proof that you can come back from this, and he tweeted it out earlier today, so, you know, all of our best wishes uh, to Danny Farquhar and his family. Hopefully things work out well. Uh, I know yesterday, and I whatever you tell me, I'm not going to believe you Okay, if you don't tell me that you were sitting in front of your TV watching 12 hours of basketball yesterday. Uh, I took a break and took Gus out for a walk on okay. the lakefront for about an hour of the uh, Timberwolves game. Uh-huh. Uh, but besides that, yeah, I watched a lot of NBA yesterday. I watched a lot of the Cubs game because uh-huh. um, I wanted to see you, Darvish. But, yeah, I watched, uh, you know, the Sixers game started at one thirty, Right. Which was about 20 minutes, half an hour after the Man U game ended uh-huh. against Tottenham. Right, so, the FA, FA Cup semi. So, Fred, yesterday I was watching sports at 11 a.m. Yeah. And that went all night. It was great. It yeah. was a great day of sports. It was fantastic. And I watched a lot of NBA. And today there's four games. Uh, on deck, and the last one being uh, the Cavs and the Pacers, which is uh, going to be must-see TV. But ESPN has a coverage at noon of the uh, Celtics and the Bucks, and you can hear that game right here on ESPN 1000. It, it, the, the NBA playoffs have been fantastic to this point. Well, and there's a couple things I wanted to ask uh, you as an NBA fan, and also people want to jump on in, 312-332-3776. I also put two other polls up there, and they're both, they're very, very similar. One, do you want LeBron James to make it to the finals? Yes or no. And two, will LeBron James make it to the finals? Yes or no. And one of the reasons I was saying it was, you remember during the NCAA tournament, people say, well, these upsets are great. These, mm-hmm. these upsets are great. And then when you got to the second and third round, you go, well, you know, it kind of sucks when the better teams lose early sure. and then they're not there at the end. Would you feel that way if, in fact, the Cavaliers didn't make it because they were expected to make it? Or if Toronto didn't make it and if Philadelphia felt Philadelphia made it and Philadelphia had to go against, say, Golden State in the finals, would you be upset because it's not the best teams, in, according to most people's thoughts, playing in the finals? Well, I think it comes down to what's the alternative storyline, right? Because I think most people would say, do you want LeBron to make the finals? I think most people would say no because they want to hate on LeBron. Mm-hmm. But will he make the finals? I think most people would say yes because they think that he'll just end up in the finals no matter what. I think for basketball, I was thinking about this yesterday as well as I was watching basketball because I question, I didn't want to put it out there earlier in the show uh, when I was on at eight because it, like, I don't know how to word this. I don't know if the NBA is better off if LeBron is not involved right. or if he's involved. Yeah. Because I think when you kind of break it down, initial reaction is, you're an idiot. Of course it's better if LeBron's involved. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, though, if we're getting to the point where there's so many other good, interesting storylines right. that they don't need LeBron yeah. to be in the finals. Because, they needed him to carry the league for a while, but now right. there's enough storylines you may not need him. Now, in the Eastern Conference, Toronto, I don't think will get people's juices flowing. Toronto is the... Yeah. I've never seen a number one seed in yeah. a conference have less talk about it than the Toronto. I mean, Toronto was on NBA TV earlier this week. Yeah. They yeah. couldn't even put him on, you know, at, you know, TNT. Right. They run NBA TV over Bucks and, and uh, yeah. Celtics, which is not a great series to watch either. No. 
Um, so no one really wants to see the Celtics because they don't have the star power. Really, if your option is Philadelphia, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are interested in that storyline yeah. because we all know the tank, the process, the whole thing is this team intentionally tried to lose. They got high draft picks. And not only did they get those high draft picks, but Joel Embiid, on and off the court, one of the most fascinating players in the league. And Ben Simmons is this freak athlete. And the combo is fun to watch. It's like watching Penny and Shaq from the early 90s. So I I think if you could substitute LeBron for the 76ers, I think you could get big numbers still. Okay. Outside of that, I'm not sure if anything in the Eastern Conference is really doing it for anybody. Well, the other thing, too, I mean, and everyone's going to talk about the tank and the process and getting mm-hmm. Simmons and Embiid. But I watched the game. I didn't only watch part of the Philadelphia game yesterday. There was a bunch of other stuff I was watching. But picking up Saric and Ilyasova oh, yeah. were huge. Well, Saric is a part of the tank. Yeah. He's well, a draft pick. He's, a, he's their draft pick. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so he, he, He's a guy that no one talks about. Not at all. And you watch yeah. him play, and the way he's playing, it's unbelievable. I mean, those guys are hitting big shots when Ben Simmons isn't. Uh, Embiid is back, and it shows you the difference in that team when Embiid's there as opposed to when he's not there. They just have a different attitude. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's crazy how how good they are because they don't play the best basketball all the time, and you can tell they're kind of trying to figure it out, yet they come away with victories, and they've won a lot over the last month and a half. They came into the playoffs winning 17 in a row, and then they lose the one game to the Heat, and they come back on the road with a big victory. I, It's pretty outstanding. So, I mean, they're the one team that I think kind of – people will watch and, and kind of keep their eyes on going forward. Yeah, I don't think there's much of a doubt. Um, just so you know, so far on the poll, and you can go to uh, on Twitter, ES, at ESPN1000, do you want LeBron to make the finals? 80% are saying no. Um, will LeBron make the finals? 82% are saying no. So Interesting. I, I, don't, I think if you watch the Cavaliers play, um, you know, it was a tough loss for them on Friday. They lose by two ninety two ninety. Didn't they blow like a seventeen point lead in that yeah. game? Oh yeah, and Indiana you know, comes back. You, Fred, uh, LeBron's not getting any help from anybody. No, and he went hard the entire season. Played eighty two games. He was fantastic in the stack categories. But I mean, with no help, I don't know if this LeBron James can even get out of this round. And I think that that's a shocking thing to say if you just put it out of the context of first round LeBron James, of course he's going to get through. Yeah, I mean, this team hasn't played well defensively all year, and, and LeBron has really given it his all to this point. Does he have enough to get them to the next round? We'll, we'll get back to NBA talk in a little bit. Jesse Rogers joins us when we return. And again, you can go to at ESPN1000 on Twitter and participate in our poll. You Darvish, a waste of money? Too early to worry or rather have Arietta. We will talk about that with Jesse and the Cubs, the 500 Cubs, back to 500 for the ninth time this season right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Fred Hubner with you here on ESPN 1000. We'll get to Jesse in just a second. Don't forget... I don't know. Don't forget. I haven't told you yet, but we do have three pair of tickets 
for right. the uh, 2018 Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix. The All-State Arena coming up on Saturday, April 28th. That's next Saturday. For more information, you can go to uh, Ticketmaster.com or you can keep listening because we've got three pair of tickets to give away throughout the course of the show. We are here until 12 noon. The White Sox wrap up their series, see if they can uh, not give up 10 runs again. They've done it two nights in a row. Uh, and the Cubs wrap up their series. They were one and one, two and two, three and three, four and four, five and five, six and six, seven and seven, eight and eight. Now they are nine and nine. Hmm. And to find out more about those North Siders, we uh, go to our studio Hot Rods hotline and bring in from beautiful Colorado, from what I understand, Jesse Rogers. Hello, Jess. Good morning, boys. How are we doing? Uh, we're doing okay. We're doing better than you, Darvish. Uh, <laughs> not as good as David Bodie. I mean, I think he's got to be excited after a hit. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting and uh, difficult trying to figure out What's going on with uh, the Cubs' high-priced uh, pitcher uh, this year? And yesterday was just another one of those games. Yeah, I think Bodie and Darvish should switch paychecks after last night, <laughs> just at least for one day. I sure. mean, Bodie earned his, right? Um, yeah, I mean, to me, uh, this is no longer really an opinion. This has become almost factual that he cannot fight through a, an adverse moment. I mean, it, it's becoming obvious. That's not said with any malice. That is said... Very clinically, in a sense, right? I mean, what more evidence do you need? He's admitting to it. He's admitting to melting down after a balk. He's admitting to not uh, finding it again after walking the pitcher last night. He's admitting in Miami he had some humidity and dehydration issues, um, all happening in the fifth inning here. So, look, um, maybe it's all fixable. Hopefully it is because um, he's got stuff. But mentally, he's got to make some adjustments. And forget about labels. What do you want to call him? Soft, whatever. He's got to make some adjustments. Apparently, being in the league five, six years doesn't matter. He's in a new situation with a new team, um, with a new contract. Maybe he's feeling some of that. So, I mean, look at this kind of as clinically as you can. This guy has issues when adversity hits. And the whole thing I said about Jake Arrieta and you Darvish was I'd rather have Arietta right now to win a game because if both have A stuff, they're both great. If both have B or worse, Arietta's your man. And as he pitched through that fifth inning, his fastball velocity dropped and he didn't go to any off-speed pitches beside his slider and he could not get through it. That's the problem with you Darvish. With his A-plus stuff, he's great. But how many guys have A-plus stuff for eight innings every night? Doesn't happen. Jesse, watching the game last night, he got through four innings without giving up a run. But to me, it seemed like he was building his pitch count. There were a lot of pitches used. Why is he not striking out guys when he's a strikeout pitcher? Well, most most nights he does. I would think his first start at Coors Field, he probably had a game plan where he wasn't going to use his curveball that much. He may not use some of those other pitches because they don't. They don't break, and he does rely on his fastball and slider. I think last night he threw mostly fastballs, to be honest. So that's the only answer I could give you for last night. He usually does strike out guys even before meltdowns happen. Sometimes they happen, sometimes they don't. So I would imagine uh, because of Coors Field, he kind of indicated this after the game. Um, he, he went away from some things, and he wasn't striking out guys as much. Well, and you look at the struggles he's had, and they all seem to happen in the fifth inning. It's like, get past the fifth, and everything will be fine, and he hasn't been able to do that. The thing, and it bothers you, and I know in your article you wrote the thing, and we were talking about it before you came on. Little things, you know, you can't have a pitcher that little things bother him. 
And uh, we were talking earlier. We we put up on a poll. You know, is it uh, was he a waste of money? Is it uh, too early? Or would you rather had Arietta? Because the one thing you always knew with Jake, and you mentioned it, is he would grind it out. I mean, it was almost if bad things happened, he would be there and try to put a stop to it. And that's you know, from when you pay a guy six years, one twenty six, you expect him to actually be a guy that can you know battle through these kind of things and that we see no we've seen no battle at all in him and then you i don't want to say that wilson Contreras was calling him out because he was being honest but you don't usually see your catcher call out your pitcher and i think some of the comments in the in the article today was almost like Contreras calling him out right um no no doubt i don't think his intent was to call him out i think he was trying to be a little honest uh, last time I saw a catcher call out a pitcher, Miguel Montero was playing somewhere else the next day. <laughs> sure. That won't be the place with Contreras. I mean, look, you got two guys that English is their second language. They both were talking last night, and who knows. But I don't think Contreras really wants to throw him under the bus. I think he was trying to be factual. It's almost like I was saying to you, it's no longer an opinion. Yeah. It's just kind of facts here. It's staring you at the face. So I don't care if you're going to drink your cup Kool-Aid or not. They've got to deal with this. They've got to deal with a guy that... That melts when when things go wrong. Now, is he going to melt for thirty two starts? No, but so far three out of four he has. So that's not a great great uh, month. Obviously, you can't get those games back. And look, this I don't. We've all gotten convoluted with contracts and stuff. Wasn't there a time that that from owners on down, nobody wanted to see pitchers get six years? Of course, yeah. considering the contracts they got, I take Arietta every day of the week because. In November, December, January, we have no idea how either pitcher is going to throw. They're both elite. They both have pluses. They both have minuses. I'll take the guy for three years because that's usually the rule. You don't get pitchers six years, five years if you can avoid it. Now, if he's the best pitcher in the world and he deserves it, well, you know, that's a different story. But nobody could know for sure who would be better, Darvish or Arietta. If it was close enough, even if you liked Darvish because his stuff was 94. I mean, yesterday it was 91-92. Wasn't that what Arietta was throwing at uh, last yeah. year? Yeah. Now he blamed a little bit of the cold on that. So it comes back to the whole thing. If the conditions are perfect, like they were in Milwaukee, there's no little thing that goes wrong, he can throw a dominant game. But if you ask me, at six years, uh, Darvish or Arietta at three, I, I would have said Arietta uh, uh, two months ago every day of the week because this uh, just said I don't want a pitcher for six if I can get someone somewhat equal at three. Um, now we we don't know really if the Cubs could have had him at three at seventy five. Right. Right. All we know is he, he turned down the parameters of the Darvish deal. He did, at the last minute he said no, I want more. But he never did get more, except he did per year. So, yeah. whatever. Uh, two games ago, not yesterday, his last game, he was, like, shaking his arm. They went out and looked at him. Last night, something similar. Is, is there an arm problem? Is there t- not not tightness? I'm not talking elbow or anything, but cramping up? Is there some of that there? Well, he had he had it supposedly a little bit in Miami. I, I, I don't I don't think there was much to last night. No, it never came up in the post game. Okay. So, um, it never came up. Um I think his issues are, are what we saw. He walks the pitcher, and then he just cannot command anything. Um, his folk, he loses his focus, and the Rockies went to task. Now, we're talking fifth innings here, right? So pretty much third time through the order. So maybe there's something to that. And there, I'm, I mean, look, we're, we're probably being simplistic on some of this stuff. The Cubs are going to do a, diver, a deeper dive. Um, but he does need to change things up. He said, he said so. Um, after the game, third time through, I've got to start using some other pitchers. So maybe he was a little scared to do that last night because it was Coors Field. 
Jesse, a couple minutes ago, you said that he's melt, melted down in three of four, but really, if you go back to last year in the playoffs, it's five of six. His last two outings in the playoffs were atrocious, so his last five of six outings have been terrible for you, Darvish. Um, Eric Gust on Twitter uh, tweets us. He wanted to know the same thing that Fred was kind of just asking, because not only did Deshays mention it during the game, but DeJesus after was questioning the touching of the arm, the stretching of the arm, the injury. And Eric Gust on Twitter says, you seems to have issues around 90 pitches. Do you think that maybe there's a pitch limit to what you can do right now? Possibly. It is still April. Man, he was throwing 98 in spring training, so I felt like, I mean, this guy's a horse. He's big, he's strong, um, he's, he's two years, whatever it is, post-surgery. Uh, well, Jesse, today. If, you go back, today. if you go back to last year, uh, in yeah. the playoffs, at no point did he pitch 90 pitches. The most he pitched in a playoff yeah. game was 81. You have to go back to September 25th against San Diego. He threw 91. So he threw in the 90s in September, but did not in October or November. Well, I, uh, th- th- it, there could be something to that. I will say, if you remember, Dave Roberts was, I mean, if you think Joe Madden pulls his pitchers early, then yeah, look at yeah. Dave Roberts. I mean, they remember what Rich Hill did to the Cubs, and he was pulled. They really did the whole uh, two times through the order only because they had such a dominant bullpen. So I'd have to go back and look. All I know is he was, he was dominant against the Cubs no matter how many pitches mm-hmm. he threw in the playoffs. So um, I'll, I'll ask I'll ask today um, the follow-up about the arm. I mean, I, I, I know what you guys are talking about. It just didn't seem like that was the issue, but you never know. Certainly um, when you have three games, not being able to get through the fifth inning, yeah, a, 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 you know, a light goes on. Is it, is it is it fatigue? Is it third time through the order? What what's going on here? Um, you know, why does the balk happen in the fifth? Why does walking the pitcher happen in the fifth? Those are moments of losing focus, um, or the things that happened after the balk, obviously. So that's what I'm saying. You got to do a, a deeper dive here. We're we're sort, we're seeing it from the outside, and then trying to get answers afterwards. And you know, I give credit for, to you. you. You always give credit to a guy that'll stand up and say, "Yes, I need to do this better." He did do that. Wilson thought that maybe he lost focus with two outs um, in an inning, especially in the fifth. And he said, you know, you can't get too comfortable. This is the big leagues. You said, no, I don't, I don't take anything for granted. I wasn't getting too comfortable. So little disconnect there. Um, so they're searching. They're all searching. Joe, Joe said, look, I don't know him that well. I'm trying to learn, you know, what, what nah, he, the paraphrasing, what buttons to push. Well, Joe, you got to learn quick. You got to learn quick because uh, you don't get these games back and at, at 21 million a year. Um, you, you expect more. Again, the good news is some of this, I think, is fixable if they really address it. You can't just keep on doing the same thing. Uh, but um, could, they, could they have made a mistake with the steal? I mean, it's obvious they could have. Jesse, as we let you go, um, as Joe said, that he's going to run with this uh, daily double at the top of the order for a little while, or is it, you know, do you surprise, expect that, you know, would you be surprised if it was changed today? Uh, it's Joe, so I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, I do think, uh, just side note, Tommy Lestella is going to be in there. So right away you're thinking Sunday lineup, and if Lestella is in there, I, I can't believe he'd take Baez out um, right now, or Elmore for that matter. So I don't know the answer to that. I, I, you know, Joe, I would not be shocked if it if it changed. Um, righty on the hill, but he's kind of equal splits, if I recall, Marquez. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't change it. I'm more Baez at the top. You, you want to give Russell a day off, move Baez over to short, and put Tommy at, at second. I assume it's something like that. Maybe he wants to give Bodie another start. Um, but man, there's no reason to switch those two at the top. No, no reason at all. And you can, you know, you can even go with uh, Bryant in right field again. He was enjoying himself right. out there. Bo- yeah. Bo- 
Bodie, look what Bodie did at third. Yeah. I mean, guy made some pickups. He's a like he that 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 stood out more than anything in, in spring training. He's, he's got the glove for it, no doubt. Um, nice swing on that one zero pitch, but then he struck out a couple times. So, uh, I mean, he'll probably be back on the bench. But um, I don't know. I don't know if Al Moore and Baez are both back in there. But I knew I know Tommy is in, so that that's going to rearrange a few things for sure. Jesse, enjoy your game today, and then uh, off to Cleveland. We will be talking to you soon. You got it, guys. Have a good one. Jesse Rogers in Colorado getting ready for the rubber game of the series. It'll be Jose Quintana, another pitcher that needs to step up. He's 1-1 one one with an 8-16 ERA going uh, against Marquez later on today. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, callers hanging there. We'll get to you when we come back. we got some other stuff to get into. Also, top of the hour, Brett Coleman, SB Nation, talking about the upcoming draft. It's just in a couple of days, Thursday night, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday. All draft talk. We do a lot of it. We come back. At 10 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Fred Hubner. We've got some uh, NFL draft talk. Top of the hour, Brett Coleman from SB Nation. But first, let's go to the north side. Mario, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Mario. Hey, Freddy. Boom, boom. How are you doing today? Doing good. What's going on? Not too much. Just wanted to touch base now. I've been listening to you guys, and I love everything you guys are saying. And let me preface it by saying that I agree with you in terms of Darvish being a little soft right now. But if memory serves me right, we did have some questions about another high-profile, uh, high-dollar value picture that we acquired in John Lester, and he turned out to, you know, kind of rock and roll uh, with us. And he's he's our go-to guy. He's our he's our strong guy. Uh, and on top of that, you know, I love Wilson Contreras as a catcher, but in terms of calling somebody out, here's a guy that had a lot of talk behind him about being MVP for the year for a team, and he's got no home runs, and he's got, what, six or eight RBIs? So, yeah, we value what he does behind the plate, but, I mean, you almost have to ask him to put his money where his mouth is, because if you had run support for some of these guys, uh, you know, maybe if they would have scored 10 runs for Darvish, who wins the game. Maybe he doesn't get all freaked out. Those are just, you know, my thoughts. So I'm going to hang up and listen to your call. Be your answer. Thank you. Thanks, Mario. We appreciate the call. Um, it is one of those days where they scored 16 the day before. They scored two yesterday in the first inning and then did not score another run. Um, and, and you're right. Wilson Contreras isn't hitting right now. He's hitting the ball hard. He actually should have had a home run last night. Was last night the night he hit the ball to hit yeah. the top? Yeah. The nights all blend together because I was watching the Friday night game too. And why did they review that? If you hit the top of that thing and the ball falls into the field, it's still live. If it goes over it, then it wouldn't have hit it. You and know what I'm saying? Why is the top of the fence yellow if, if it means nothing? Well, because sometimes they can't really... Well, you're probably right. But sometimes isn't you can't it, really isn't see. Isn't the yellow supposed to mean if you hit it Onto that, it's it's, I think it's over. You have to you if it, hit it hits over? the yellow and goes over, then it's a home run. Yeah. If it hits the okay. yellow and goes back into play, it's still just a lot. So why they review it? So why is the yellow there? Because if you hit the top of the fence and it goes over, wouldn't that still be a home run? Yeah, I, you know, without the yellow uh, sig- signal right there. I don't think uh, on the south side. I know we saw a couple of homers by Houston yesterday. I don't think the top of their wall is yellow. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. I did just the cushions there. I think the cushion helps, but maybe it didn't have to be yellow. And listen, I I get the caller's point about the it's early Cubs. I understand that it's early in the baseball season. Spring is just starting, 
And clearly you were watching the post-game show because Cap made sure that that graphic of showing you Darvish's first four starts and, and John Lester's and John first Because Cap was going off on Twitter about it. I, I get it. I think John Lester has a different mental makeup than yeah. you, Darvish. Yeah, I do too. Hey, right now, be the fifth caller. 312-332-3776. Fifth caller gets a pair of tickets to see the 2018 Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix at Allstate Arena coming up on Saturday, April 28th. For more ticket information, you can go to Ticketmaster.com or be the fifth caller, 312-332-3776. Football talk with the draft coming up. We come back. Chris Black, Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000. See Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Fred Huebner and Chris Black here until 12 noon. Talked a lot of Cubs baseball. We'll get into some NBA a little bit later on. Also, we've got two more pair of tickets for the 2018 Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix at Allstate Arena coming up next Saturday. Uh, Brian from Racine won the tickets last hour, but now time to get into it. We are just four days away from uh, the NFL draft. The Chicago Bears with the eighth pick, at least for now. Our draft coverage brought to you by Cintas. More than one million businesses trust Cintas to help them open their doors with confidence. Learn how they can get your business ready at Cintas.com. Cintas, ready for the workday. And we bring in the NFL draft expert, draft and film analyst for SB Nation's Battle Red blog. Also, you can find some of his great stuff on YouTube. Uh, go to youtube.com slash C slash Brett Coleman. It is Brett Coleman we bring in. Brett, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you guys? We're doing great. We were just talking uh, right before we got you on how uh, how you guys do you do such a great job with your video breakdowns. I was watching a video breakdown of a a guy uh, that you said, hey, he he's the best cornerback in the draft, and I said, okay, I thought I knew all the cornerbacks in the draft. I'm not the biggest college football guy, but you let me know that Isaiah Oliver could be a guy that might get picked higher, and people go, Isaiah, who? Well, you've got a video breakdown of him already, so we can go and check it out, right? Oh yeah, I I love him. I absolutely love Isaiah Oliver. You know, he's he's seen generally as like the the fifth or sixth kind of guy on the board by a lot of analysts out there. But to me, I mean, if you can run a four or five flat, but you have thirty three and a half inch arms, you got a six foot frame. You know, you're a pure press corner. I, I don't understand how he's not seen as the best corner in the draft. You know, he he's so big, he's so long, he's so technically proficient. Uh, He's got enough speed. He's got enough fluidity. I mean, he's got everything you want from an outside corner. You know, a lot of people think that Denzel Ward or, or Jair Alexander are, are the best corner in the draft. But I'm sorry, but if you let's say you're trying to guard Allen Robinson out of the boundary, he's six foot four with a 36 inch vertical. How do you think a five eleven corner is going to match up with that? So if if I want a, a number one boundary corner on the outside, I want somebody who's big and long enough to handle a true number one wide receiver, and that's Isaiah Oliver. So if we look at the Chicago Bears drafting at the A spot in the first round, uh, I think most Bears fans think the Bears need to add defensively. Quentin Nelson might be there for them to take, the guard from Notre Dame. What's your philosophy? Do you think the Bears should continue to build the defense, or is a guy like Nelson someone you can't pass up? Personally, I would take Nelson if he was there, just because he's you know consensus top three player in the draft from anybody you ask. 
I have him number two overall on my big board, only behind Saquon Barkley. He's the most complete uh, and the highest graded guard I've ever done. Uh, he's got immense power. His technique is flawless. Um, he's athletic enough to handle zone blocking, but, but really he's better in a power scheme, but he can do anything you want. Um, I, I think if you put him at left guard across from Kyle Long, uh, that is one heck of an interior trio for, for Mitch Trubisky. Uh, he'll help c- keep that pocket clean. He'll give him time to find his receivers. And I think if you want to develop a young quarterback, Quentin Nelson's one of the best picks you could possibly make just because he'll help him so out. Uh, he'll help him out in so many different ways. That being said, the the biggest pure need on the team is probably outside linebacker across from Leonard Floyd. So that's where Harold Landry comes in. That's where Marcus Davenport comes in. And, you know, they have to make a decision of, do we want to help out our young quarterback by giving him time to throw? Or do we want to help out our young quarterback by giving him a pass rush that can close out games? And it's two very different philosophies. They both kind of accomplish the same thing, but they need to make a decision of which way they want to go. Landry's going to be more likely to be available, but if Nelson's there, personally, he would be my pick. You mentioned Landry, and there's always a possibility that Buffalo might want to move up and things like that, um, and the Bears move down. Uh, would, would some of those guys be available at, was it 12, if they the Bears made that move? Because they have not traded down, I think, since 2003 or 2004. It's been a long time since they've traded down, and they could use some more picks. They don't have any uh, a third-round pick. Um, but do you think that if they did move down, they'd still have uh, decent pass rushers there for them on the outside at that point? Yeah, they would have a shot at Davenport if they move down. I, I don't know that Landry will get by San Francisco at nine. Uh, that would be a, a huge risk to me, let alone Oakland. Uh, you know, he, he's a very talented player that I think is uh, kind of like a diet version of Von Miller, mm-hmm. just traits wise. You know, he's, he's got phenomenal bend and burst, and he's got a great dip and rip move. He, he really looks a lot like Vaughn on the field, so it's hard for me to imagine he's going to get by 11 teams before he gets picked up. Um, Davenport's kind of more of like an Ezekiel Ansah. He's more developmental, but he's got immense talent, uh, arguably one of the most talented, you know, pure talented players in this draft. So he's got a better shot at being there at 12, but. You know, just looking at Chicago, how many times they've gotten sniped by other teams over the years by one pick or two picks, whether it was, you know, being one away from Aaron Donald, yeah. one away from Leonard uh, Williams a couple years ago. I think you just stay at eight, you get who you can get, and you just be happy. Who do you like uh, as a linebacker better, Roquan Smith or Tremaine Edmonds? Who's the better player? You know, it depends on, on what kind of position you're trying to fill. If, if I want a pure you know, will linebacker, a run-and-chase guy, a pursuit guy, somebody who's more of a cleanup crew, that would probably be Roquan Smith. If I want a Mike backer, somebody who can kind of mix it up inside, stack and shed on blocks, uh, you know, maybe handle a little bit of coverage in the seams against bigger body tight ends, that would be Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, for Chicago's purposes, I would probably take Edmonds just because I think they need a, a, a Mike backer more than a will backer. Um, but really, it all just depends on the scheme, you know, what kind of role you're trying to fill. You know, grade-wise, they're almost equivalent. They're just very different skill sets. 
Another comparison I wanted to ask you about, uh, we're talking with Brett Coleman uh, here from SB Nation and uh, also his newest mock draft coming out tomorrow. Um, safety position. The Bears, they went out and they, they re-signed their guys. They got Prince of Mukamara back and Kyle Fuller. They matched the offer from the Green Bay Packers. Safety is a position they probably could use some help for. Uh, Derwin James or Minka Fitzpatrick, if either one of those are there at eight and they decide to go that way, which one do you think is better and why? You know, again, it kind of depends on what they want to do schematically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Minka Fitzpatrick is a better pure free safety, um, but they already have Eddie Jackson, who I think is a fantastic young free safety, so they don't necessarily need a center fielder. But Minka, I think, is better in the slot, so if they want a strong safety that can kind of double as a slot defender, uh, kind of like what you know you saw Arizona do with Tyron Matthew a few years ago, where he was a safety-slash-nickel defender, I think Minka would be better at that. But if they want a more pure, strong safety that is kind of better in the box, you know, that kind of hybrid safety linebacker, almost like a camp chancellor, that would be Derwin James. Uh, Just because of Eddie Jackson being so good at free safety, I would probably take Derwin for Chicago. Uh, I I think he he gives them a little bit something different than Eddie, just as that enforcer against the run, uh, very athletic and, and, and very big, so he can match up against tight ends. So from a scheme scheme perspective, uh, Derwin matches up better with Chicago. In terms of overall grade, I have Minka above him, though. Okay, so besides the Bears heading into the draft on Thursday night, we're all interested in all the quarterbacks. We all have opinions on them, and, and a bunch can go in the top ten. I wanted to start you off with Josh Allen. What are your likes and dislikes about Josh Allen heading into the draft? Oh, man. I, I know people are going to take him top five. I know it's going to happen, but man, I I would not pull that trigger. I I'm actually kind of surprised that Buffalo traded up to twelve for him. I, I have him going that twelve to Buffalo in my mock draft coming out tomorrow, just because they kind of have to take him. You know, they they gave up so many resources. They they have to take him at twelve, even if I wouldn't. But uh, he's got a, a cannon for an arm. He's a, Great size, great athlete. I get all that. You know, the fact that you can make uh, from far hash to boundary throws—that's very impressive. And not many quarterbacks can do that on time. But the accuracy just kills me when I watch him. He makes me so nervous. And just you know, routine throws, whether it's screens or tosses out to the flat that sail out into the bleachers, and I. I I got burned a couple years ago really bad by Christian Hackenberg when I kind of just hand-waved the accuracy away due to mechanical problems. I said, oh, if he, if he just fixes his feet, fixes his release, he'll be fine because it was a very you know ugly motion. And Josh Allen, you could say, oh, you know, he's too high on his toes, he's overstriding, it, you know, it's, it's all mechanics. It'll fix itself. No, <laughs> that doesn't happen. If you throw under 60% for your entire life, Mechanics is not just going to slowly fix that. You know, if, if mechanics fixed every inaccurate quarterback, nobody would ever be inaccurate. You know, sometimes guys are just inconsistent, and there's nothing you can do to fix it. And I get very nervous about that. An even bigger problem, though, is you know, mentally he kind of gets stuck on his reads a lot. Uh, you know, in terms of you know, if he's got a, a curl flat combo and he's trying to read a hang linebacker to figure out where to go with the ball he'll wait until the very, very last moment to make a decision, if he makes the right decision at all. And it's almost like he, he's waiting for something to open up that's not going to open up, 
and he trusts his arm so much that he's like, oh, I'll, I'll just throw it as late as possible, and I'll, I'll get it there because I'm Josh Allen. But in the NFL, you can't get away with that. You know, if you're if you're throwing against some random linebacker from Oregon, it's a lot different than if you're throwing against you know Dante Hightower. You know, it, the, the windows are not as big, and you know, even with a great arm, they're just not going to be there. So I, I get very nervous about accuracy, about his ability to diagnose and work through defenses. I, he just he makes me really nervous, and I, I know he's going to be a top five pick, but I would not make that selection personally. You know, Brett, a lot of people don't put much into things that Phil Sims says. And the one thing that Phil Sims said that stuck with me a few years ago is when you look at quarterbacks, there's only the most important thing. It doesn't matter how his, his arm strength doesn't matter. And if he can get the ball to the side, accuracy is the most important thing. And that's the only thing that Phil Sims ever said that I remember. And when you, <laughs> when you just brought that up, it reminded me again. And when you think about it, it almost does. I mean, you know, the history of great quarterbacks, accuracy is what matters. You know, eventually with Brett Favre, he figured out you can't throw interceptions. You got to hit your guys. Joe Montana, you know, accuracy, things like that. And they threw a lot of shorter passes. Accuracy seems so important. When you look at accuracy, which of the top quarterbacks has the best? And how do you rate the top four quarterbacks, uh, one through four? And there may be five if you want to throw some in. You know, it, 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 they all have their own specific issues, and some teams are going to rate those issues higher than other. A lot of people, you know, on the field would say that Josh Rosen has the best tape, and I agree with that. But the injury concerns push him down to three for me because if you have two major concussions before you ever take a snap in the NFL, plus a shoulder injury, it's, that's a little bit concerning. But on the field. You look at Josh Rosen, and the mechanics are clean. The accuracy is phenomenal. He has the confidence to hit absolutely infinitesimally small windows. Um, you know, he he plays. I'm I'm going to invoke kind of a lot of sacrilege here, but he plays like Tom Brady with <laughs> okay. a little bit more of a gunslinger attitude. He he's a very very good quarterback. Sam Darnold though is my number one quarterback because a he doesn't have that injury history. B he's still accurate. Uh, the mechanics are not as clean as Rosen, but when you look at Darnold, he has a different trait of Brady's that I think is maybe even more valuable, and that's the clutch factor. Whether it was the Rose Bowl or the Texas game, uh, you know, if you just need one drive to go down the field and win, he's probably the best quarterback in this class to give you that drive. I mean, he is ice cold in pressure situations. So he's my number one mainly because of that, you know, because he, he, A, he's accurate and all that kind of stuff, but just mentally I think he's prepared to handle the stresses of late-game situations. Baker Mayfield is right in between them at two, and he doesn't come from a, a pro-style offense, but I think in terms of pure accuracy and ball placement, he's probably the best of the three. Um, I think he's probably going to end up at the Giants at two because he kind of fits what they want in that, you know, spread him out, work the middle of the field kind of quarterback. Um, you know, he, he's very accurate in the themes, whether he's in the pocket, out of the pocket. He's very slippery. Physically, he kind of reminds me of Russell Wilson, maybe not as much straight-line speed, but just uh, in terms of elusiveness in the pocket, uh, keeping his eyes downfield. And he's got a really, really good arm. People don't give him enough credit for his arm. I, I think his deep ball is, is very Russell Wilson-like. Um, so one through four, I would rank them Darnold, Mayfield, Rosen, Allen. None of them are perfect, and, all, and they all have their own issues, but uh, 
I guess you could say that I'm ranking them almost like uh, they're issues from least important to most important. Sure, that makes sense. Okay, if you remove Josh Allen from the group, which one of these guys will take the shortest amount of time to have an impact in the NFL? You know, that's that's an interesting question. I think Darnold goes to the Browns, and uh, you know, I know they have Tyrod, but he's probably going to start day one, uh, just because he's a better quarterback than Tyrod Taylor. Uh, so, I guess you consider consider that being an immediate impact, just because he would be an immediate starter. I think Mayfield, at least if it was me, I would put him in the Giants. So he's probably not. Whoever goes to the Giants is not going to play for a year. We already know that. So I think that's going to be Mayfield. So he's probably going to be more of a down the line impact player. And then I think Rosen goes to the Jets at three, and you know they they have more quarterback talent there with McCown and, and Teddy Bridgewater. But I think Rosen really is one of the few quarterbacks that I would start from day one because it's better for him to start from day one. Uh, just kind of mentally, how he's made up as a person. He really learns better on the field than on the bench. Uh, he's extremely smart, and he really wants a challenge. And I think whoever coaches him is going to have to coach him really hard. He's a very inquisitive person. He's always asking, asking questions, you know, why are we doing this concept against this defense? Why are we putting in this protection? You know, when this safety rolls this way, why are we throwing a bang eight instead of a go? You know, he wants to know every aspect of every single concept, and it's really hard for him to learn with that many questions without actually executing on the field. So I think for his development, he really needs to be on the field day one. And so that's why he's probably going to be on the Jets. And he's probably going to be a big impact player for them as a rookie. Another minute or two with Brett Coleman from SB Nation. Make sure you uh, check out uh, him at, at Brett Coleman, uh, K-O-L-L-M-A-N on Twitter. Also, make sure you check out his uh, film room on YouTube. He's got his mock draft coming out tomorrow. Um, would you be really surprised if when they announced the number one pick, it wasn't Cleveland taking Saquon Barkley? Because I know you said he's your top guy. He's my top guy. I would be stunned if they take anything but a quarterback. Okay. <laughs> if they take Saquon Barkley at one, uh, oof, that would be rough. Okay. I know because I, I know there's a lot of people that say that they'll they'll grab Barkley at four after the other teams take quarterbacks, and you know there's always that possibility that someone will jump up and take Barkley instead of that. That's that's probably the only thing Cleveland's thinking. I would think right now. I think they're thinking quarterback at one, and then whether it's Chubb or Barkley at four, I think they're happy either way. Okay. You know, a lot of people here in Chicago have suggested that maybe Ryan Pace should trade up and try and get Bradley Chubb. What do you see from Bradley Chubb on tape? Man, his grade to me is equivalent to Khalil Mack when he was coming out in 2014. They have a little bit of a different skill set. I think Chubb is more developed as Mack, whereas Mack was a little bit more explosive. But in terms of overall grade, they're right next to each other. Um, he's got tremendous length and power, but also a lot of bend in his hips for, for a guy in his frame. He was 260 pounds, and he bends really, really well. And what I like about him is his versatility. You know, He can win with a dip and rip on the edge. He can win with the speed to power move. He can just straight bowl you. He's got a nifty little spin inside. So he can attack you in so many different ways, like a Khalil Mack, that you know, tackles really don't know what to expect on a snap-to-snap basis, and that makes him extremely effective. 
He's got an arsenal of moves at his disposal. His motor never stops running. And, you know, on Twitter, I actually kind of pondered that a little while ago of, of Chicago trading up for Chubb because they really don't have that many major holes. It's pretty much outside linebacker and, you know, maybe offensive line depth. But other than that, I mean, this, this team's kind of ready to go. And if they if Chubb did drop, you know, let's say it was Barkley at four and then, you know, the Broncos reach for Josh Allen or whatever and the Colts are sitting there at six, we already know the Colts want to trade down again. So... If they move up, a, you know, the six for two spots, you know, whatever that would cost to get Bradley Chubb, I mean, that's one heck of a pass rush in Chicago between Floyd and, Floyd and Chubb. That would, that would be a really good move, in my opinion. And Brad, we really appreciate it. All the all the work, all the hard work, and the the research. It, it all uh, will come to fruition on Thursday when the, the teams actually make the moves, and we can talk about how they screwed up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, of course, Brad. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Brett Coleman from SB Nation. Make sure you check out his uh, film room because breaking down, he does like a five or six or eight minute breakdown of each of these individual guys, the, yeah, these high great. picks. Uh, talking about the draft and how it's a crapshoot, mm-hmm. Peter King sent a note out earlier today. Uh, 1964. Uh, I was seven. I, I was 13. <laughs> sure it was a good were. year, Fred. Yeah. The summer of 64, you yeah. know what they say. Uh, Wichita State tackle. Bill Parcells drafted. 89th overall by Detroit. All right. Um, 40 picks later, the Dallas Cowboys took Navy quarterback Roger Staubach. So, you know, there's a lot of times where, you know, we talk about Tom Brady going in the fifth round and Joe Montana going in the third round. And, and Mitch Trubisky going second. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's weird. You you know, yeah. there's a reason that there's seven rounds in the draft. There used to be a lot more, but, you know, the, there's seven rounds and then guys can become uh, undrafted free agents and still make a living in this league and be stars and help lead teams to Super Bowls. So we talk so much about these players and uh, the the 32 first-round picks. There will be stars and there will be busts over sure. these picks. And it's it's going to be interesting to see which teams uh, make uh, the, the best moves and which teams make the worst and the most puzzling moves. And we'll have the draft for you Thursday right here on ESPN 1000. A couple of things that Brett Coleman told us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would take Quentin Nelson for the Bears at yep. 8 if he's there available because he's a top three player in this draft. Okay, so that's one angle, right? Like, we are all debating whether or not it's more important to get help for Trubisky on the line right. or to get him help on the defense to help win games. And that's where Brett kind of followed up with the question of how do you help a young quarterback more, right? It's more of like philosophy of football. Is it having a good pass rush to get the other team's quarterback so at the end of the game you can close it out defensively? Or is it to get a good line so you can run out the clock? You know, friend, I don't know what the answer is because in today's NFL, I think it's more important to get to the other team's quarterback than to be able to run out the clock because no one runs out the clock anymore because everyone has time. Right. You know, even if you give Aaron Rodgers 25 seconds, he finds a way to get down the field and guys can kick a field goal from 55 yards out. So to me, I think it's more important to be able to rush the quarterback than to be able to rush yourself. Yeah, right. and, and almost every game is decided in the last possession or two. Right. Almost every single game in, in football, and almost which makes every, it a great game. Every single time that happens, you get the back and forth, and it ends up, no matter how much time left over, unless it's like 10 seconds, right. a team almost always has a chance in the NFL. Yeah. It's, it's so... 
fascinating to see how it used how it used to be different, right? Sure. It used to be seven minutes left on the clock. All right, let's run it. Let's out. run Here the ball. Go. Yeah, we'll run the ball. We'll we'll eat the clock, and everything will be fine. Now that, that almost doesn't, doesn't happen, happen anymore. anymore. Right. No. We'll talk more football a little bit later on in the show. Also, if you want to be the fifth caller right now, 312-332-3776, you can get a pair of tickets to see the 2018 Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix at Allstate Arena coming up this Saturday, April 28th. And if you're not one of the lucky winners, you can get tickets. Go to Ticketmaster.com. It is uh, my Major League Baseball Notebook. We yes. come back. It was a big night in baseball. Not necessarily for the White Sox. We'll talk about that and much more after this. Chris Black, Fred Huebner, Chicago's Game Day on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. And the ball driven to left center. Sousa. He's got it! He's got it! It's a no-hitter! Fred goes around the horn. It's a triple play for the Sox. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Fred's Baseball Notebook. Welcome back in. We've talked Cubs. We've talked some uh, draft. We'll get to uh, the NBA talk. We also have Nate Duncan from Dunked On Podcast coming up around 1130. We've also got one more pair of Bellator tickets to give away. Kevin from Elk Grove. One of the most recent pair of tickets for the event coming up next Saturday at the Allstate Arena. You can go to Ticketmaster.com for all the information. Time for my baseball notebook. And, uh, all right, let's do it. Big happenings yesterday for the Oakland A's. And this will be a 2-0 pitch. And it's on the way. And it's swung on a ground ball to short. Simeon's got it. Throws the second for the first. And Sean Benaya has no hit the Red Sox. Just to the left of the pitcher's mound at the Coliseum in Oakland. Sean Manaya with a no-hitter last night against the, not just against some little team, against the Boston Red Sox. Highlights courtesy 95-7, the game out in the Bay Area. Boston came in having won 17 of 18, hitting a league, a you know, a baseball best, 293. Yeah. And he no-hits them yesterday. Uh, there were a couple of questionable calls in the contest. One that was a hit, and they would change the call earlier in the contest. But Sean Manaya is a guy, and if you don't remember, the, this is a guy when he first, when I first saw this guy, he had like Joakim Noah hair. His hat <laughs> barely fit his head because yeah. he had this big hair. And now he's got, I don't know if it's a buzz cut or what it is, but Sean Manaya doing a job. The Oakland A's got him a couple years ago, and uh, they don't have much to watch for with the Oakland A's, but they've got him, and uh, it was nice to see the ver- first no-hitter of the season last night, Sean Manaya. Now the Boston Red Sox, 17-3. and They have a run differential of 67 off yeah. to a great start. Uh, do you think that this will be the best team uh, through baseball throughout the regular season? I didn't think so coming in, but uh, I may be wrong. And I, Chris Sale, I think, has one win of the, out of those 17. He's pitched okay, but the, the team never seemed to get runs for him until he leaves the game. And then they would score runs and win contests. But, uh, yeah, they're pretty darn good. They can hit. Mookie Betts at the top of the order is doing really, really well. He's fun to watch, and uh, especially if you got him on your fantasy team, which I don't. Uh, so it's it's very, very good right now what's going on with Boston. But they get shut down yesterday. 
um, by uh, Sean Manaya and the A's. We also have lineups before we're uh, done with this. We've got Cubs and White Sox. I've got the White Sox lineup. All right. That came out a while ago because they play at 110. The Cubs at 210. We'll get to them in a second. Uh, there was some action at the White Sox yesterday. Hey, they scored a run. <laughs> Trace Thompson, right field. Reddick back. Warning track in the wall. It's gone. Welcome back, Trace Thompson, as he splashes down in right field. Yep, after the White Sox were shut out 10-0 by uh, Justin Verlander and the Astros uh, on Friday. Yesterday, they lost 10-1. to And uh, the one run, uh, Trace Thompson, and now back with the Chicago White Sox. He hits an opposite field home run uh, late in the contest, and they lose 10-1 to to uh, the... Houston Astros. And last year, the Astros came to uh, the South Side and the White Sox swept them. Now, I don't know if the Astros remember that, but they're playing like they do. They scored four in the first, four in the second. And that, that at that point, I was allowed to turn the TV off and go to something else. And there was plenty on last night. So Before the season, I had the Sox at 68-94. They have four wins, 13 losses. Do you yeah. think they even get to the 68? Yeah, you know, I, I picked them. I said they'd be like a 72-win team. So... Yeah, I mean, in yeah. spring training, a lot of people said this team's going to surprise some folks. Well, they're surprising them right now because <laughs> Lucas Giolito, wow. last, last night, Lucas Giolito went two-plus innings, gave up five hits, nine runs, seven walks. Seven walks! Throw the ball over the plate. He struck out one. Now, today, the best of their young guys is going. Ronaldo Lopez is going today. Mm-hmm. He's 0-2, but he's got a 142 ERA. Okay? He's been outstanding so far. Yeah, Carson Fulmer has been struggling. James Shields, actually, he just hung around the other day. He gave him some innings. And Miguel Gonzalez, who I thought was going to help after last year, he's been bad. In the minor leagues, Dane Dunning with eight more strikeouts. Kopech pitching well. So, I mean, and they knew this was going to be a tough year. But even yet, even Friday, Rick Hahn talking to the gathered media at Guaranteed Rate and said, we understand it's, we're in a rebuild, but this is frustrating. Of course it's frustrating, but I think uh, most White Sox fans would rather it be this way than the way it was where you're just trying to get aging veterans to come in and continue to make playoff pushes yeah. that weren't really there. Right. So this, these are the lumps you have to take if you are going to commit to a full rebuild and a full tank job, which the, the White Sox are doing. Well, and, and to be honest, they almost they already did. It's like mm-hmm. this is the year before they're expecting to win some well, games. Well, things are not looking bright in that yeah. fashion. Then, not Fred. just yet. Not just yet. I was thinking 2019. Maybe it's going to be 2020 at this point. Not everyone can tank like the Chicago Cubs did. No. Say, say no that Cubs this, fans will tell you. Right? Say this is the year, and yeah. then you actually get into the playoffs, and then be like, all right, well, we got to the playoffs. Next year, we'll win a championship. It's very difficult to to do that. And think about it. The Cubs were actually a year early making yeah. the playoffs in 2015. Mm-hmm. Sure. They didn't think they were going to get to the postseason, but they did. There was a uh, couple of walk-offs last night. One for the Braves. First and third pitch. He bunts. Gonzalez throws late. drags it to the right side. Makes Gonzalez have only one play, and that was at the plate. And Camargo slides in safely. What a comeback for the Braves. What a baseball game. What a baseball ah. game. But as opposed to a football game or basketball game, Fox Sports <laughs> South with the call. The Braves get a win. And that wasn't the only walk-off yesterday. Jesus Aguilar, the Brewers. Aguilar sends it to right center and deep. Get up. Get up. Get out of here and go for Aguilar. He just hit a walk-off out of here. 
but he's standing. Aguilar gets a hug from everybody. Whoa, what a finish here tonight. Now, that was pretty wild. That was Bob Euchre in uh, highlights, uh, courtesy Fox Sports Wisconsin. And, you know, the funny thing about Euchre, He's going to, like, rupture something. He gets really damned excited with the uh, get up, get up, get out of here. And he's he does a great job. Brewers going to win last night. And Jesus Aguilar, after two strikes, he fouled off seven pitches. Pretty good. Before he hit that home run. Fouled off seven pitches. The Brewers right now are 13-9. and nine. Uh, that would be two games ahead of the Cubs hmm. in the division. So it's it's going to be interesting with Pittsburgh off to a nice start, too. If they can hold on, and uh, they uh, National League Central might be more of a battle than the Cubs fans originally thought. Um, the Mets' Matt Harvey, after his last outing, they asked him the other day, you think you'll go to the bullpen? He said, um, I'm a starter. Right. I, I've always started. I've never been to the bullpen. The dark night. Yeah, yes. well, yesterday they told mm-hmm. him, you're going to the bullpen. Oh, no. And uh, he was not happy. Uh, he was furious, as a matter of fact. They said he was furious. We don't have uh, Matt Harvey sound. But uh, he's 0-2, a 6 ERA, 26 hits, 4 homers, 26 innings. So it's not going well for Matt Harvey and the Mets. And, um, you know, DeGrom's not pitching badly. Syndergaard's not pitching badly. Uh, but they're a team that uh, has been a bit of a surprise because of their hitting. Right now, the Mets are 14-6. and and you, you, two of those losses were Matt Harvey. So they're doing quite well. They're on top of the National League East, a game better than Philadelphia, two games better than Atlanta. What? Washington is four and a half games back. They're a game under five hundred. I don't know that anybody expected that this early in the season, but it's early. It's early, Fred. It's Come early. on. It's Go early. back to bed. It's early. <laughs> Nothing matters in baseball because it's early. Go back to bed. Yeah. How many games have most of these play, uh, teams played? 20, 21, 18, 19? 20, yeah, yeah. It's early. Like it doesn't that. matter. It's early. All right. Um, and one other thing, and this is kind of Cub related. Yeah. Um, the New York Yankees are calling up Gleyber Torres. Wow. Gleyber Torres, who was in the deal for Chapman. Chapman helped the Cubs win a World Series. Uh, Gleyber Torres now with the Yankees, and he did not start the season with the big club, but he is getting called up now. So You know, a, a prized possession of the Cubs' uh, uh, farm system that they had to trade away to get that piece, that closer yep. for the 16th title. I, I wonder, in hindsight, do you think you could have won the title without Chapman? I would say no. Okay, so no. Uh, also, if you still had Gleyber Torres... Would would he even be on the team now, or would you have used him for a different type of deal, like a starter, pit, a starting pitcher? Question. Or? Yeah, you may have used him for another deal because they had Russell, right? And then you have Baez, who was in the system before Russell. Even he was blocked, yeah. so so he was going to be a piece that was moved probably either way. Right? But from what everybody says, he's there's a good chance he'll be better than both of the Cubs' middle infielders. Well, Fred, this is where I get to the point, and I can ask you the question: Well, isn't it pretty easy to be better than Addison Russell right now? It's very easy. Damn Addison <laughs> and, Russell. And that's our weekly Addison yeah. Russell update with Freddie Hubner. God. I don't know what's going on with him. He's just not been playing well. No. And as a result, he's not playing today. Yeah. Actually, that's probably not why. Um, but here's the lineup for your Chicago Cubs. Albert Almora in center field. Javi Baez moves over to short. So the the daily double of Almora and Baez is still there. Uh, Chris Bryant back at his um, familiar third base, hitting third. Anthony Rizzo at first. Tommy LaStella, as Jesse told us, in 930. In the lineup, he is playing second base, hitting fifth. Kyle Schwarber in left field. Victor Caratini is behind the plate. 
So a rush arrest for Wilson Contreras and Jason Hayward is back out in right field. Uh, Jose Quintana on the hill for the Cubs. Really quickly before we take a break, the mm-hmm. White Sox lineup. Sure. Uh, and it's Johan Moncada back after a uh, sore hamstring. He will be leading off and playing second base. Avi Garcia, who's in a huge slump right now, he's out in right field. Jose Abreu uh, hitting third at first base. Then Nicky Delmonico, Wellington Castillo, Matt Davidson, DH. He's already got 12 walks this year, which, you know, is good because he never used to walk. He'd strike out a lot. He's striking out a lot, too, but not at least he's walking. Uh, Sanchez is at third base. Anderson is at short, and Lurie Garcia is in center field. My uh, my soccer guys, uh, Paul Tenorio, they, they correct me, Paul Tenorio and, and Leo Flores. Leo is the uh, producer for our podcast. He also does the video stuff we did last year. They told me, they said, it's it's Sanchez. In, in Spanish, there really is no San. It's not. It would all be Sanchez. Sanchez. Sanchez, but Sanchez. I always call him Sanchez. Right. And the fire has a goalkeeper named Richard Sanchez. And even the announcers yesterday were calling him Sanchez. Not Sanchez? Not Sanchez. So I'm trying to figure out exactly where to go with that. Because every time I see the name now, I say, am I going to be wrong or am I going to sound like I'm right? So we'll figure it out. And also, <laughs> we got, speaking of uh, Chicago Fire Soccer, we got mm-hmm. something to play when we come back. I got something to ask you about, many things to ask you about. Some NBA talk next hour and why not we've got nba action coming up here today on espn 1000 we'll tell you about that we come back it's chris black fred hubner here till noon on espn 1000 this is chicago's game day only on espn 1000 at espnchicago.com Welcome back in. Fred Hubner, Chris Black. A lot of basketball talk in our final hour, the 11 o'clock hour. Um, I got a tip for young broadcasters mm. coming up, uh, actually, in a second. Um, the Chicago Fire got a win yesterday, and uh, they they beat the New York Red Bulls 2-1. to one. We'll talk, I'll tell you more about that in a second. But starting next week, all the Chicago Fire games that are not on ESPN or FS1, or Univision like yesterday's was. And last week, it's two weeks in a row, though, with Fire been on Univision. They were on Univision last week when they played Zlatan Ibrahimovic and the LA Galaxy. They were on yesterday when they played the New York Red Bulls. When they're not on those, they will all be on ESPN+. Plus. Um, ESPN+, Plus. if you have the ESPN app, it's there. You yep. can just look for it, hit the watch, and you'll see ESPN+. Plus. It's their new streaming service. It's four ninety nine per month. Thousands of live sporting events. Last night, Chris, all of the MLS games last night, every one of them was available there. I saw. Just go to your phone, boom, hit it live, and the game was there. It was awesome. Anybody that loves soccer or anything else. I mean, they had the uh, Scherzer-Kershaw game on Friday night, which didn't turn out as good for Kershaw as they had hoped. Uh, Also, the full library of movies and documentaries, including the entire 30 for 30 collection. You want to watch the two Escobars? You want to watch anything? Uh, that that they've done on 30 for 30, you can find it. And in addition, listeners can take advantage of a seven-day free trial of ESPN Plus signing up with the ESPN app. Do it today, the all-new ESPN app featuring ESPN Plus. Check it out today. Now, my tip for broadcasters. Can I, before your tip, can yeah. I throw in one thing? Because no one told us to do this. Uh, you, you mentioned the MLS yesterday. Yeah. I watched the Montreal Impact and LAFC uh-huh. on ESPN Plus on my phone. That was a wild game. And, and this is what I'm saying that no one told us to say this. My phone sucks. Yeah. I have a iPhone 6 that the screen has broken three times. I've had it replaced. It's garbage. Okay. Nothing, nothing runs on my phone. Yeah. The ESPN app. 
the new update and ESPN Plus is flawless. It's out. It really it is. is. It's it great. Is so clean. And it's so easy. It's so good. If you don't have ESPN Plus yet, do it because all the games just automatically start playing. Yeah. The highlights work. Everything is awesome. There's a bunch of draft stuff for the NFL Draft. Right. Draft Academy and the uh, quarterback to quarterback with Russell Wilson. It's That's all, all up there. there. It's fantastic. Yeah. Check it out. Trust me. I. It's good. It's really good. So check it out. My phone sucks. Okay. And well, it works really well. We're going to be a hair late, but I got you got to hear this. Okay. And here's where my tip for young broadcasters okay, comes it. up. The mm-hmm. game was on Univision. You can usually hit the SAP button and hear the English commentary of the Univision games from Major League Soccer. Sure. And you would have heard this as the Chicago Fire got their first goal on a volley from Alexander Katai. Again, to be whipped in by Brandon Vincent. Back post, headed away. The shot! What a golazo! Sensational stuff! Off the rebound, Katai! Goal! For the fire! Wow! You never expected that! Incredible! Sensational! I'm at a loss for words. Robles (laughs) wants to see the replay. It's headed away, and Katai doesn't even question it. Boom! Oh, Katai, stop it. I I don't know what to say. I am literally, literally speechless. Okay, a couple things. The the literally is a thing at the end, too. If you're literally speechless, you're not speaking, so you weren't literally speechless. Um... But if you're a young announcer, a couple yeah. of things you don't want to say okay. is you don't want to say I'm at a loss for words. Sure, right. Okay, your you're, job yeah. is to describe to what speak. happened. Yeah. Now, it is TV yeah. and people saw it. So you can just sit back. Mm-hmm. But don't say I'm at a loss for words. Okay. And also, don't say I don't know what to say. Okay, all right. Just don't say anything. Okay, write these two down. Those two things. Well, Fred, uh, based on your tip for broadcasters, I'm for a loss of words and I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. So we'll talk a lot of NBA we come back. Uh, right now, I'm at a loss for words. Uh, those highlight that highlight, by the way, courtesy of Univision. I'm sure the two announcers are very happy. I played it for them. Uh, it's Uncle Chris- Fred's <laughs> broadcasting tips brought to you by the Illinois Media School. That could be a new segment. Yeah. I got I to call uh, and see if I can get we can get that in each and every yeah. week. Uh-huh. Broadcasting tips. It would be re- it'd be so easy. It'd be it'd be even easier than getting people to say. And you almost had a great question too, or a good question. Almost. It was interesting. Yeah. It was not great or good. Uh, no, but. <laughs> You know, if only someone had a segment where you just critiqued uh, the media, you know, weekly yeah. on an afternoon show in the city. It'd be nice. It'd be really nice. It's a good segment. Uh, it's Chris Black, Fred Huebner, right here for you on ESPN 1000. Chicago. This is Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is there and gone. Chicago's game day. He's at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Alvarez. It's a triple play for the Sox. Base is loaded. Base is clean. This is Chicago's game day. Only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Fred Hubner with you. Until 12 noon, we got a lot of NBA talk coming up this hour. Bottom of the hour, Nate Duncan from Dunked On Podcast at 11.30. Uh, Chris is getting all geeked up because there are four more NBA games today. 
as you've got, I got the whole list here. You have Boston, Milwaukee, Golden State, San Antonio, Toronto and Washington, Cleveland and Indiana. And we've got the uh, Celtics, Bucks and Warriors Spurs right here on ESPN 1000 beginning right when we're done at 12 noon. Boston up two games to one. Golden State can put away the Spurs. They're up three zip. Toronto tonight, a 5 o'clock start. They have a 2-1 lead on Washington. And Indiana at home, they have a 2-1 lead over Cleveland and LeBron. And that ties into our poll question that we asked earlier today. Uh, two of them, do you want LeBron James in the finals? Yes or no? And will LeBron James make the finals? And you can find those at ESPN 1000. And let's do a quick check. I know it was, yeah, they I mean, were runaways earlier. Yeah, for this is an interesting conversation. If you want to talk to LeBron James and talk with us at 312-332-3776, or you can tweet at us at Fred underscore Huebner and at Chris Black. We will get back to you. So the question on the table is about LeBron James going forward. And I think it's a larger conversation. If you want to call us and chime in, you can. Does the NBA need LeBron to get to the finals for them to have a successful NBA finals, uh-huh. successful NBA playoffs? I'm not sure if they do because the league is so stacked and the league is in such a good spot right now. It's funny because I asked the question in a different way either last week or the week before. Mm-hmm. I asked, does the NBA need LeBron to get to the finals? Right. Or would it be the worst thing that happens if he doesn't get there? And I think with all the other stories and with Philadelphia – and I don't know about you, but I I love watching uh, playoff Rondo and uh, and the Pelicans. I mean, who could have seen that coming? Yeah. It's so much fun to watch. You know what's I was thinking during that game was that you say Anthony Davis is a top five player, and we all say that from time to time, and we kind of go through our list of who's in the top five in the NBA, and then you get to see a guy on a showcase platform where he actually gets to perform to that level. And carry a team into the next round, and you all of a sudden step and you go, "Oh yeah, he really is top five. Yeah, yeah. and like it, there, there are so many of those guys around the league that makes it that interesting. Is it's not just LeBron, it's not just Durant and the Warriors. There are guys all over the league that have the ability to carry their team into different rounds of the playoffs, and I think that's why it's so uh, fascinating right now. We're going to hear from Anthony Davis in a second, and also from Rondo. Um, right now, the poll, it's still 80%. Do you want LeBron to uh, make the playoffs? 80% no. And will LeBron make the finals? 82% no, the last I've checked. Yeah, do so. you want him to make the finals? Do you think he'll make the finals? Mm-hmm. And both say 80% no. Yeah. That's interesting that 80% of the people responding to your poll don't want LeBron James in the finals. Well, and think about it because you can almost tie him in, t- LeBron and basketball, into Tiger and golf. Okay. okay. Yeah. With the, you know, a lot of people, would you, will you watch the Masters? Will you watch the Masters if Tiger's not there on, on the final day or not there? Some people won't watch golf if it's, if Tiger's not there. I think for a while there, if you would have said, listen, LeBron's not going to make the finals, are you still going to be interested? Well, with the way that the NBA looks now, yeah, you will. And I think that's one of the reasons that I'm more interested because anybody that's listened to the show, they know that I'm not the, the biggest, uh, maybe size wise, but I'm not the biggest NBA fan. Um, because the last couple of years at the start of the season, you said, okay, it's going to be the Warriors and the Cavs, and they're going to play 82 games, and then the playoffs, and then they're going to meet in the finals. Well, you know, Steph Curry's not playing, but it still looks like the Warriors are going to get there. 
mm-hmm. uh, because they've got enough other talent. And uh, the Cavs may not. I mean, they they completely redid their the you know the cast of characters that are with LeBron. They may not get there, but you may not care because the rest of the playoffs leading up to this have been as entertaining as possible. And uh, it, I I almost think that if the Cavs and LeBron gets that get there, they won't be. The best team in the East. Oh yeah, no. it doesn't care. I don't care if they get there. They're not going to be the best team in the East. There's enough other, better teams now. People say, "Well, listen, they won seven game series. They're the best team." That could happen if LeBron does it, but I don't know that LeBron has enough to to lead this team to to the finals. I think you're right. I mean, uh, Fred, the Cavs haven't been the best team in the East the entire season, right? And that's not because of some injury or this or the other. They play bad defensively. Mm-hmm. They're not a good defensive team. And then you add into the fact that LeBron gave it his all during the regular season, and he could only get them to the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. So you you take into you take everything into account. Letting Kyrie Irving push himself into a spot where they had to trade him, right? Is the mistake that will bring down this franchise going forward? Because chances are, even if they get out of this first round against the Pacers, LeBron's going to bounce in the summer, and they're going to have to start fresh all over again. And they were in the midst of it. They were in a title run. They beat the Warriors a couple years ago to win the finals. They've been there for consecutive years. Everyone thought they could get there again. The miscalculation of how important Kyrie Irving was to the team, to LeBron James, to the organization, it's a major misstep to think that you could just replace Kyrie Irving with Isaiah Thomas, who was hurt, and everyone knew he was hurt, and then when he comes back, you rush the judgment because things weren't clicking. So you trade away all these pieces that you had with the team and you get back Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. Larry Nance Jr. Rodney Hood. Those guys are not difference makers. They're nice players. But I'm sorry, when a guy couldn't even start for the Lakers in the backcourt, you probably have a problem. And Jordan Clarkson isn't going to help you going forward. Let me ask you a question. It's, it's a, it's a weird question. Um, because, you you mentioned Isaiah Thomas and as you know last year and the year before when he's scoring all these points everybody he was all the rage he was the guy he was like the it player okay and also to a lesser degree uh Hassan Whiteside was a year or so ago you know he's the guy bulls got to go get him teams got to go get him this guy this is the guy and i never saw it uh, yeah he was a big tall guy and he could rebound and hit some shots but i never saw he's the guy that's going to be a you know a game changing player we see what he is now he's a 13 minute a game guy where he mm-hmm. might get you know 5 points and 4 rebounds yeah, i mean extremely moody as well yeah. he he thinks he's he's one of these guys who thinks he's the man, even though he's not the man. Yeah, and well, he's to been be, told by people too. Well, I mean, I think the the contract yeah. signifies that he should probably get the ball more, but he doesn't have the skill. He yeah. he's a guy that is um, he got what he got on the free agent market because there's not a lot of bigs in the league. And now you don't need bigs. And you don't need them. And every time Embiid stepped off the court, he is at a loss defensively. And then even when Embiid's on the court, Hassan Whiteside can barely play. Right. And thank God the Bulls didn't sign him. Thank God a lot of teams didn't sign him. Yep. And the, the Miami Heat are stuck with him. Now, you asked about Isaiah Thomas. Now it, It's a bit of a gimmick, right? He's really good as a one-on-one offensive player. Brad Stevens used him to perfection last year in their offense. And I think that's a guy that he's never going to lead a team to a championship right? unless the team knows exactly how to use him, like Brad Stevens did. And when it's so, tough to have other other good players with him. 
Yeah, he and, dominates the ball. He dominates and that's the why ball. He made no sense with LeBron. And you can't win unless you have two and or three stars. Yeah, I mean that's that's basically the way it is. It, it's even it's tough to win even if the one star you have is LeBron James. You got to have somebody to help. Yeah. And when they had Kyrie, they had somebody to help. And right now, uh, Cleveland doesn't. Again, we've got the doubleheader right here: the Celtics and Bucks, followed by the Warriors and Spurs, beginning at noon. The first game. Now, yesterday is this the first time I haven't seen this in the notes? Is last yesterday? the first time that two players scored 40 or more in a playoff game mm. on the same team? Because you had Anthony Davis with 47 and you had Drew Holiday with 41. Off the top of my head, the only other pair that I could ever think of that could do that would be Durant and Westbrook when they were together with the Thunder. How do you get 88 points from two players? It's pretty good. Right? I mean, I guess when Michael scored 63, if someone else would have scored. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. You good know. point. Yeah, the yeah. Wennington combo for 55. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But after the game, Anthony <laughs> Davis talked with uh, Jamie Maggio. We'll give it a listen. Anthony, wow. A combined effort of 88 points from you and Drew Holiday. You're going to have 47 new franchise records. Yeah, and they did. And you and I know I heard you say this earlier. You're talking about uh, New Orleans and um, the Pelicans, and you don't think of them as a uh, a big NBA fan base. It's funny about no. four. Boy, about four years ago, my wife had a conference in New Orleans. I had never been there. I had a free ticket uh, to fly down anywhere I wanted to, basically, uh, through Southwest. So I went down to New Orleans. And the day I was there, I was in a, a park, and they had like a, a farmer's market going. And the New Orleans Jazz, it had to be, had like a, a, you know, buy tickets for the Jazz, this, 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 and this. They had the Jazz cheerleaders out there and all this right, kind of right. stuff. What, what year was this? Well, how, how many years ago have they been to Pelicans? <laughs> They've been the Pelicans for a while. Well, oh, not not more than like four or five years, is it? Yeah, but before that, they were the Hornets. The Hornets, okay, not the Jazz. Okay, because oh, okay. I was saying, yeah, are was you talking Hornets. about like Pete Maravich yeah, times? Yeah. Like, Pete Maravich sold tickets. No, you're right, it was the Hornets. <laughs> All right, I was like, what, yeah, it was what the year is this story from? <laughs> yeah, no, it's when they were the Hornets. It was yes, before with, the Pelicans. With so. Chris Paul and David West, yeah. Yeah, it was the Hornets, and okay. they were out, they were out <laughs> selling tickets. And that's what, that's, what reminded, that's what made me think about it when you said it, because they were just trying to sell tickets. They yeah. were just trying to get anybody to come into the building. But when you get a, you know, an Anthony Davis and, and what they've had now this year, and now you got a guy like Rajon Rondo, who's, who's you know, playoff Rondo. He had 17 assists earlier in the series. He had 16 assists yesterday, and he talked about Davis and Holiday's games going yesterday uh, as he played with them and helped dish out 16 assists. Given the situation, you know, like you guys said, the way they came back and cut the lead within, I think, two or three, um, we get we put the ball in these guys' hands, and they, they deliver for us. So i got to put that up as far as top four or five that I've seen uh, with the pressure situation. You know, like I said, we didn't... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, given the situation, I mean, Paul against LeBron was the one that goes up there, game six at the career. But other than that, um, they've had some elite, elite games, uh, very efficient. Who else is talking in the it's background? It's Anthony Davis mumbling in the background. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have your answer here. Teammates with 40-plus points each in a playoff game in NBA history. So Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, they're the sixth pair Jeez. in NBA history 
to do this. Uh, the first one, 1962, Elgin Baylor, Jerry West for the Lakers. Okay. Uh, 1988, Hakeem Olajuwon and Sleepy Floyd. Sleepy Floyd at 40? <laughs> yep. Okay. 1995, Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. That makes sense. 2000, Jalen Rose and Reggie Miller for the Pacers. Okay. 2016, LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. And then Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday. That's pretty good. That's so. that's pretty darn good. And then you still had Nico throwing in double digits yesterday. He is so hard to watch without the beard. It's 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 a weird look. You're right. Um, it's also kind of weird to see him be productive in a playoff series. Yeah, which to me is just as strange as seeing him without the beard. Yeah, he is productive. Uh, but he's been good for them. And the Pelicans, I mean, they, they're a great story. And it it kind of goes to the broader scope of the health of the NBA. Is that all you need is that one guy who is elite, right? That top level, and then all of a sudden the stadium's full. It's a raucous crowd in a playoff series. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. who would Build have said them. that New England or New Orleans is a hot NBA no. city? Nobody would who have. Who would have said that Utah, hot NBA city? But last night, did you see that crowd no, I and heard everything it. going on for the Jazz? That's last the one night? series I haven't watched one minute of that series. The, the, I, just, I don't know if it's the times it's on or what it is. But. The, the, uh, the energy in that arena last night for the Jazz Thunder was outstanding. The Thunder, another city. Oh, Oklahoma City, right. that's not a big market. People come out. And, like, that's where the NBA is now is that you don't need New York, Chicago, Los Angeles to have engaging, awesome NBA action in the playoffs. Well, and another one, and we'll get to Minnesota in a second, but I don't know if you saw that what the uh, Pelicans did on their uh, Twitter account yesterday. No, what'd they do? After they after they won four games to none and knocked Portland out, um, they took out on Twitter, quote, all 22 ESPN NBA analysts <laughs> picked the Pelicans to lose the series. And they put, they, they reprinted the picks. That was yeah. Nick Friedel picking Portland. <laughs> that was every one of the 22 yeah. ESPN and nobody picked, you know, everybody picked Portland to go through. And now uh, the New Orleans Pelicans are awaiting their next opponent. Now, Minnesota last night, they were down two games to none. They go home for game three. Butler had 28. Teague had 23, and he was throwing threes in two last night. And there's Derrick Rose, 17 points, 21 minutes, and I don't know about anybody else, but I love watching Derrick be Derrick. He was yeah. going to the basket. He was stepping back and hitting threes. That's the guy we remember playing for the Bulls, and uh, it's it's still fun to watch Derrick play when he's playing well. Yeah, Derrick Rose with confidence is fun to watch, and the problem is we haven't seen that the last couple of years, whether or not it's his mental state, injuries, uh, whatever it is. We have not seen that from Derrick Rose. Last night he was good, and also how about Carl uh, Anthony Towns actually showing up in the series yeah. because before that he had, what, like eight and six points in the first two games in Houston, so... They're going to need him to step up. Wiggins had 20 as well. So the Timberwolves played well. They got a game. Now can they do it again and push this game into an actual competitive series, or will they just roll over like we've seen them do many times this season? Doesn't it seem like, and again, you know the NBA. I, I, I defer to you, but doesn't it seem like Harden's got to score 40 for them to win any night? Um, I mean, I think also you got to make more than 15 three-point shots, yeah, which is a lot of what they do. I know that's a lot of three-pointers. Not 15, for them. And I think Minnesota matched them last night. If they're not winning the three-point battle, then, yeah, you might have to have Harden score yeah. 40. Um, usually you get a little more from Capella. You get a little more from Chris Paul. He had 17 last night. The others for the Rockets 
have to play better defensively. I think that's the key is that's why you have Trevor Ariza, PJ Tucker. You have these guys on the court because you know, Harden's not going to be your defensive guy. And that's where the, they've been so good this year because of their defense and hitting three point shots. And if they're not stopping you, then you're right. You have, you definitely have a shot and the Timberwolves can score. Remember the flaw with the Timberwolves is they're bad defensively. A Tom Thibodeau coach team is bad defensively. Think about that. Well, and you know what? You can only you can only get so much out of guys. I mean, you can have the, you can run the best defense in the world, but if you guys don't hustle, well, there's nothing you can do about it. There's also two guys, the two stars of the team, who seem to have an issue with everyone else, and that's Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony right. Towns. So there's a divide within that team because you have the young guys who make a lot of money who are quote unquote the stars, right? And then you have a bunch of guys who know Thibodeau, who've been with Thibodeau here in Chicago, Todd Gibson, Jimmy Butler, Marcus Teague wasn't here, but he is a guy or um not Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague. Yeah. Um he he's a guy Unfortunately that his, Marcus Teague yeah. was here. He's a Jeff Teague's a guy who's won in the yeah. league. You have a lot of veterans who get what Thibodeau's trying to do. And then you have the two guys who are the stars who you don't always get the same effort from. Right. So that's the problem is when Towns and Wiggins click on to the fact that if you give the effort and the hustle and the defensive uh, side of it every single night, this team's going to be really good. There are some games where Towns, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about Darvish, how he he seemed to relax after he got two outs. There are times when Towns is playing where he looks like he's just mm-hmm. like he's playing in a park district league. Same with Wiggins. Yeah, and it, it doesn't look like they work hard at all. And you look at, at Butler and Taj, and these guys are busting their tail. And they've got you're right, they've got the two high paid superstars. I wonder uh, what that team dynamic is. I wonder if they're is a bit of a issue between the two young guys and everyone else. I cl- sources close to the Timberwolves who report on the Timberwolves who used to report on the Chicago Bulls. I don't know who's kind you're of talking uh, about. hinted at an issue within uh-huh. the the locker room and the old guard who are a bunch of new players in right. Minnesota, but veterans, and then the two young guys who make all the money. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes for the rest of this round. And before we, <laughs> no, yeah, um, sources close covering the Timberwolves who used to cover the Bulls, who also stood up in my wedding. And now, and, and now he's covering, now he's covering Milwaukee and Boston. Yes. Uh, um, we're going to talk with Nate Duncan from, uh, Dunked On Podcast, talk some more NBA at the bottom of the hour, but really quickly, it's, we can't go any further without saying yesterday, first rookie since Magic. Uh, with a playoff triple double. Ben Simmons, 17, 13, and 10 as Philadelphia took a 3-1 lead over Miami, 106, 102. Talk about Chippy. Um, Reddick again. JJ Reddick playing the best basketball of his career, right? Yeah. He'll be I mean, a free agent this summer, too. I mean, he signed that one year deal, deal for 22 million, uh, to join a team that's in the quote rebuilding process. Yeah. But really that rebuilding process lasted maybe a month, two months. And then yeah. you realize that this is a really good team that has a chance to actually win in this postseason. Yeah. Who knows what their ceiling is, Fred? But Ben Simmons, I mean, have you ever seen a basketball player who can't shoot from the no. outside yet makes such an impact on the game? No, I, I tweeted out last night. Someone mentioned something about Simmons. I says, one once he learns how to shoot and, sh- and, and make free throws, he'll be even better. Oh, yeah. And they kind of just said, he'll get there. Don't worry about it. And, you know, here he is with a triple-double yesterday leading his team to a 3-1 series lead over uh, Dwayne Wade in Miami. So. You know, here's the key, right? You have young players. It's a team that, that drafted high multiple times. You land these budding superstars. But look at the rest of the roster. They're pieced together with veterans who were selected to come in and play their roles. Yeah. J.J. Redick. 
uh, Bellinelli, Ilyasova, all of the uh, Covington, all of these guys have a specific role and they do it well. So, like, if you're one of these people who look at the Sixers and then look at the Bulls situation, now the the you need to focus in on you get another draft pick for the Bulls, hopefully higher than six, but then six, right? And then kind of key in this off season. Who are some vets that John Paxson, Gar Foreman can bring in that elevate? your young players because you can't just do it with young players. No. That's what the magic have tried to do and they can't get anywhere. Yeah. You have to have some veterans. JJ Redick had a great game last night and they wouldn't be where they're at now if they didn't have the vets around the two young guys. More NBA talk. We come back. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, And if you're the fifth caller right now, you win our final pair of tickets for next week's 2018 Bellator heavyweight grand prix at the all state arena coming up on April 28th. That's next Saturday. You can go to ticketmaster.com for tickets would be the fifth caller at 312-332-3776. Fifth caller gets a pair of tickets right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day. Here comes Dario driving, lost the handle. Loose ball and B dives in there, but he throws it away and Miami players are hurt. Here comes Dragic and another foul on coming to Josh Richardson is down. Winslow was down. A nice job by Winslow here. He helps up Joel and now at the other end, we got a scrum going on. James Johnson and Ben Simmons are intertwined. We got security on the hardwood and as I say at the other end, we got a player down for the heat and bead ran down there and now ben simmons being pushed out of there james johnson volatile and joel and bead and joe uh, and covington over there we got a scrum going on see chicago's game day <laughs> on espn 1000 at <laughs> espnchicago.com i love it highlights courtesy 97.5 the fanatic we've got security on the hardwood we got a scrum got a going scrum on going on <laughs> Friends, there awesome. anything better than chippy playoff basketball? That's that is absolutely awesome. And I couldn't tell what Ben Simmons was thinking, and Johnson was just—it's like, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah. Unbelievable. Our next guest here on ESPN One Thousand, Chris Black, Fred Hubner here till the top of the hour. Nate Duncan, you can find him at uh, Dunk Don, the Dunk Don Podcast. Also, you can go to uh, hashtag Twitter NBA Show Live. I caught some of his stuff yesterday. I don't know how you're awake yet. The games don't start for a while. I figured you'd be sleeping a little bit. I appreciate you joining us, Nate. <laughs> yeah, I'm out here on the West Coast. Well, the first one starts at 10, if I'm not mistaken, here yep. on the West Coast. So uh, we'll uh, figure to get up uh, at least uh, 30 minutes early talk to you guys. Explain really quickly what you guys do uh, at the uh, Twitter NBA show live. Well, a lot of times people complain about the announcers, or we feel like the announcers shouldn't be one size fits all. You know, they have to kind of put it down towards the casual fan. If you want a little more detail on your game, we hope that you mute your TV and listen to us. So if you uh, follow me on Twitter at NBA, you'll see us tweeting that out. We're doing the Cavs Pacers game live today. We're also doing a uh, Buck Celtics uh, live today. Nate, yesterday, uh, the 76ers, they beat the Miami Heat, and now they take a 3-1 lead, a commanding 3-1 lead. What was the most impressive thing you saw from the 76ers yesterday? Well, the fact that they were able to win while committing 26 turnovers. I think they're the first team to do that since uh, the 1988 Jazz commit 26 turnovers in a playoff game and win. I mean, when you're turning the ball over on 30% of your possessions through three quarters, it's really difficult, and not only that, but they also shot 7 out of 31 from 3, and yet their defense was so good 
and uh, they're able to shut down the Heat in the fourth quarter and take it. Uh, Joel Embiid was impossible to score on around the rim, and uh, they got just enough offense from Ben Simmons to get it done. How surprised were you by what the New Orleans Pelicans did? I mean, putting away uh, Portland in four straight, how how surprised were you? Or were you at all? Uh, Extremely surprised. I had Portland winning that series in seven, although I probably would have picked the Pelicans had they the home court advantage. But looking back on it, it makes a, a little bit more sense because the big weaknesses for the Pelicans is they basically have no good three men on their roster, right? And lo and behold, that's also Portland's weakness, right? They have no one to guard. Uh, the Pels have no one to guard a three-man, but there was no one on Portland for that three-man to guard. So they just went with each one more at the three. They're able to play all their guards. And then Anthony Davis and Miritich were able to space out Portland's traditional centers. Portland like to pack it in, prevent shots around the rim. And uh, one thing that was a total surprise was New Orleans just destroying them around the rim. Portland had one of the best rim field goal percentages allowed during uh, the last three, four years in the NBA, and Portland just totally hurt them holiday, and Davis were unstoppable around the basket in that series. Watching that game yesterday, I couldn't stop thinking about Boogie Cousins because uh, if he's there, what is the ceiling on the Pelicans with all their pieces healthy? You know, it's interesting, right, because Cousins is really an offensive player, right? I mean, defensively, not in the greatest shape a lot of times. He'll struggle to get back. He'll complain to the refs, but not a great pick-and-roll defender. Can't really switch. I don't think he's really a positive for you defensively. And when you consider that the Pels are already scoring really well, I mean, we're, we're seeing Davis. We're seeing Drew Holiday, Rondo with the ball in his hands. You know, If you're going to give it to Cousins to isolate, Rondo becomes a liability, right, because you don't have to guard him. So with the way that they're playing now, uh, you know, I think it, it's tough to say – how well he fits, and then you've got the spacing that Miritich provides for everyone else to do their work. Sometimes, as this year's Timberwolves are seeing, you can have too many guys who need the ball and then not enough shooting around them. So I don't think that, and I also think that AD's best position is center because he can space out the opposing center the way he's done at Nurkic in this series. So, I mean, if I had to pick a, a star for them to have in the team to support all those guys who are there already, he wouldn't necessarily be... My pick. Now, they do have the right to re-sign him, to go over the salary cap to do that. He's coming off the torn Achilles. You know, I would be very careful if I were them about spending too much money on him. Uh, but, you know, of course, I, I, they traded for him. I don't think that'll be the case. But I, I, a lot of people are like, oh, man, you add Boogie to this. Imagine how good they'll be. I don't think that the fit is, is quite there with Cousins' talents necessarily. Talking with Nate Duncan here. You can check him out at Nate Duncan NBA on Twitter. Uh, let, look at the Minnesota-Houston series right now. After Minnesota gave away the first game, a lot of people said, well, that's it. Houston will just roll and there'll be a 4-0. Uh, Minnesota gets a chance. They win yesterday. Butler with a nice game with 28. Derek Rose, 17-21. and 21. Guys we're real familiar with here in Chicago. Do you think Minnesota can make this a series, or do you think it was just a one-game blip? Well, we have three games of evidence now to indicate that the Rockets, for whatever reason, I mean, this is a bad Timberwolves defense during the regular year, but the Rockets haven't looked like the Rockets offensively yet. And, you know, they missed some threes in the first couple of games. This last game, they actually shot their normal percentage from three, and I mean, they put up 105, 104, and 102, which is a pretty low amount for these Rockets teams in the first three games. And so if Minnesota can stop them well enough they got their own offense going in game three i thought by making quicker decisions attacking quickly against houston switching scheme not kind of letting them 
get set uh, both in the half court and full court, yeah, I think they can make it a series. Houston's got to figure out a way uh, to get going offensively because they've Minnesota isn't the same personnel the Spurs did last year, but their strategy of, all right, we're going to keep a big back at the rim at all times. We're going to try to get over the screen on James Harden, force him to get to the basket and finish over some length. You know, they don't have the perfect personnel for that, but it's working just enough to slow down Houston to some degree. So, you know, I, I would actually make Minnesota a slight favorite just because they're at home. I don't think that they're going to win the series or anything, and Houston could blow up back to their regular season game at any time. But, uh, you know, I think even though they're down 2-1, Minnesota has looked better defensively than I ever expected to be possible in this series. And Andrew Wiggins looked good last night. He had 20 points. He had five assists, five rebounds. Uh, does Anthony or Andrew Wiggins have the mental makeup to be an elite player in the league? You know, people have focused on that since his time in college, right? And I think a lot of that on the court, you know, they're like, oh, he's not aggressive enough. Well, I think he is pretty aggressive when he gets the ball. He probably even is a little too aggressive with his shot selection, takes a lot of inefficient long twos. But really, the thing you hear about him in league circles is maybe that he doesn't work as hard as he needs to to improve. I think he's actually made some strides under Tibbs defensively, some baby steps. So is Towns. It's looking like it'll be a longer process for those guys on defense. But, you know, certainly that contract of a maximum contract for the next five years has not been justified by his play so far. And maybe, you know, sometimes guys get it. He certainly has the physical talent if he does get it. But everything you hear is that, you know, he doesn't care quite enough about basketball the way you see with some of the best superstars in the NBA. Nate Duncan for another minute or two here on ESPN 1000. And Nate, we, we posted a uh, poll earlier today about LeBron. We said, uh, do you want LeBron to make the finals? And will LeBron make the finals? I think coming into the season, uh, there were all those people who said, you know, Cavaliers and Warriors is going to, we're going to play 82 games in the postseason and see those two play. What are your thoughts about the, the Cavs and LeBron from what you've seen so far in the postseason? Well, judging just on how they've played in this series, you would have to say they're probably going to lose that series. You know, they're down 2-1. There's another game in Indy. It took a Herculean LeBron effort to get them basically a, a Victor Oladipo wide open three away from tying it in the final minute. It took Oladipo being in massive foul trouble in game two for the, even to get one win. But the Cavaliers certainly have a history of playing possum at times, usually not in the first round uh, during this uh, last uh, this return by James, so you never want to count them out. But they are getting worked so far in this series, and they had another team that was a great regular season offense, number one in the NBA after the All Star break, after they made those trades, that has just not been able to get the traction against a defense that wasn't unbelievable in the Pacers. So maybe that'll change. I, I think I still would pick Cleveland to win the series, but obviously, if they lose tonight, uh, down three one, it becomes a, a much less likely proposition. You know, Fred and I were talking about this earlier because often this LeBron conversation, how much does the league need LeBron to be in the finals? And I, I guess the question is, what do you think? If LeBron gets bounced early, is the league in such a healthy spot that they don't even need LeBron to get into a deep run to even get the interest, the intrigue from the, the general fan, the, the general population? What do you think? Well, it will hurt the finals, I think. Uh, you know, certainly... In Toronto, like if they can get into the finals there and Canada gets involved, you know, I think that would be good for Canada, maybe not so much for 
uh, the NBA is just because uh, Canadian TV ratings don't count for you know ESPN no. and, and TNT and, and all those. Uh, you know, none of those teams have really particularly recognizable stars. Same thing with Boston. Now, if Philly made it into the finals with that great young team, guys like Embiid, Simmons, you know, Philly, I think would be a very marketable team. Uh, that could get the casual fan interested, especially with the story of the process that happened there. But certainly, I think in the finals without LeBron, it won't be as interesting. But also, this Cavs team is looking like they get swept by whoever they played there, and so that's not as good either. If you get a more competitive finals, that's always good, regardless, you'd say. And Nay, we appreciate it. Is there anything you do to uh, to make sure you can go the whole day today? Is there anything special? Uh, po- energy drinks? Anything? Anything special? <laughs> any tips for the people that are getting ready to watch uh, four games of NBA today? Oh man, just uh, just get enough sleep, uh, I suppose, <laughs> and live on the west coast. There you yeah. go. Yeah. There you go. You're right. There's definitely, uh, that's, that's definitely right. I love the NBA. Uh, I love all sports on the West Coast. You get up early, you're over, you can do some stuff in the evening. Nate, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. We'll, uh, we'll be looking for you at, uh, uh, Twitter NBA show live. And also you can get to uh, Nate, uh, Nate Duncan NBA. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks guys. Thanks Nate. Nate Duncan, uh, check his stuff out. They're nuts. Uh, two guys sitting around and, and we've talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they do is something that I think a lot of sports should do is, uh, and, and I'm not saying anything against any announcers anywhere, but having right, two is this fans. Broadcasting tip number two of the uh, day for, uh, for Fred It Huger? could be. It could be. But having, right. having two fans, you know, you yeah. hit the SAP button and, uh, and you, you'd have like uh, a couple of White Sox fans watching the game last night. The reaction would have been different when they gave up four runs in the first and four in the second yeah. than it was than Jason Benetti and Steve Stone's uh, sure. reaction to it. No, I I get your point. Um, I lean the other way because I like some professionalism, and I yeah. understand that TV needs some mechanics to be done and uh, i don't need two guys that could be sitting at my bar because you could go into any bar in america and hear two guys talk about something they don't know you know what i do love about chicago baseball hmm. i think chicago baseball might be the only city where they don't have their tv announcers wear suits and ties really and i love that most hmm. uh, new york does la does kansas city does i'm uh, miami i think um what about texas i well, Texas, you might be right. It's always so damn hot there. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just yeah. naming random but, cities. I mean, Oakland, what, what does Oakland have to offer? Oh yeah, Ray Fossey. I'm pretty sure they were. They got a suit and tie on each and every game. Yeah, they usually. Uh, it's what? baseball. Stoney I mean, goes with the pullover. Yeah. Bonetti, a little. Uh, hey. He was wearing a sweatshirt one game. I know. Well, and you never when Hawk was wearing. You yeah. know, never. And you don't see golf shirts. Right. And, yeah. You don't see uh, uh, Len or Jim Deshays uh, dressing up. I love it. It's baseball. It's sports. There's, what's the point? Are we gonna Are we gonna trust well, you more? You got to be a professional. Yeah. Fred? I did soccer games. I we had a, a shirt on or off. Uh, we had suits and ties. We had a we had a two minute pregame <laughs> and five minutes at halftime. So for seven <laughs> minutes, I had to be uncomfortable yeah. all day long. Well, I mean that's a part of the gig. I, I do yeah. uh, UIC Flames games on ESPN three. Yeah, and how many times are you on ESPN TV? Plus, and we're on TV for halftime. Yeah, and which is about five minutes. Yeah, it's it's a fifteen minute halftime show, Fred. There's yeah, a couple but, of commercial breaks, right? Yeah. So it's like eight minutes. Yeah, and you're showing highlights some of those. So you, you take, take away another tie. three. You got to look the part. Yeah, Come on, you got to be professional. You, Why do you think I'm dressed like that today? Have you, you ever paid the part? Have you ever paid more interest to someone because they were dressed well? 
Um, no, but uh, sometimes blazers or jackets can distract from the content. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not pointing to anything specific, but sometimes you you tune in for a post game show to see some you Darvish breakdown, and there's a blazer so distracting on the screen <laughs> that you just can't get through the program. But, I don't know what you're but, talking but, about. But besides Sports that, guy. What, uh, I like caps jackets. I, I think the flash is fun. Usually, I mean, why? If you're gonna get dressed like that, why? Why not have fun with it? Be entertaining, right? Yeah. You know, you know how many guys just dress boring. Yes, boring. Sh- I do shirt and tie. Yeah. And I know it's, it's like who cares? It's TV. It's radio. That's no why cares. I love the first time I saw Tariko go without the tie. Yeah, it's a good look. Yeah, it's the best. The Hoiberg uh, look. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. That's a nice look. You want to go? No tie. Tie's not necessary unless you're doing giving a speech somewhere. You're just doing play by play. Just a speech. Colors. Doing a game. Go back to George Raveling of when he was at Iowa. He wore a warm up suit on the sideline as a so, coach. So Fred's second baseball tip or uh, broadcasting tip for baseball broadcasters: no ties. Don't wear a tie. No ties. Don't dress up. Yeah, don't don't dress up. And you're doing baseball. So Chris Black, Fred Huebner, <laughs> will wrap things up. We come back after this on ESPN One Thousand. That blazer. Oh, there was so much more we had to talk about today. We're not going to have enough time. Chris Black, Fred Hubner. Don't forget, coming up next, Celtics and the Bucks. Thanks to Jesse Rogers, Brett Coleman talking NFL, and Nate Duncan talking NBA. Chris, I had it written yeah. right here. It's impossible to drive and not curse. Hmm, that's true, yeah. Yep. And the other one is, every morning I get up and I put on right guard deodorant. And I look at it, and it yeah. says... 72 hour odor protection. So I'm saying to myself, so I can go like three days without just put it on and then put it on again on Thursday. Yeah, but you have to double and triple up. Monday and then Thursday and then you only have to use it like three times a week. Yeah, now you're saving throughout the year. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, thanks to Eric Ostrowski. Thanks for listening and ESPN 1000. What's that smell?